All right, this is Art 131 with Wynnum Graves. We're going to be talking about brewing today with Clark Danderson and Bo Henderson. Um, Clark, if you'd introduce yourself and give us a little background on you, and then Bo, if you'd do the same. All right. Well, I'm, I'm Clark. Um, I'm actually, I teach over at um, Auburn University at Montgomery. Uh, I do microbiology there. And I'm currently uh, in charge of the fermentation program. And so I'm creating a bunch of different courses that uh, relate to brewing beer and the fermentation process. Um, also during this time, I'm taking the certificate, uh, the brewing certificate that um, Auburn does as a graduate certificate. Um, and, you know, I, I'm very active in the brewing community. All right, excellent. And Bo? Yeah, my name is Bo Henderson. Uh, I am the owner of Henderson Homebrew. It is the local homebrew shop here in Montgomery. I've uh, been brewing for a while. Um, and that's and I've also worked in the brewing industry. I've worked at a cidery. I've worked for a mobile beer canning company. Um, so I've got a fair amount of experience in both the homebrew world and the professional brewing world. Oh, well, that's, that's excellent. It sounds like we have a lot of the, the science end of it and a lot of the um, uh, where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, Clark, if you'd give us just a short history of... Um... Actually, before we do that, let, let, let's do the, the, the types of fermented drinks that, that we have. Um, I know mm -hmm. that beer and wine have technical differences, but then there's things that are like mead and cider that I know also have specific definitions and if, if mm -hmm. whichever one of you wants to go through that is fine by me well you, you know when, when we look at wine uh, really wine is using uh, yeast uh, a lot of times those yeasts come from the grapes themselves uh, so if you think of the grapes growing out there on the vine uh, their surface has yeast on them and a lot of times they use those natural yeast to do the fermentation although there are wine yeasts that can be used that are uh, members of the same sort of brewery yeast um, group mm -hmm. um when we think of wine, we typically think of, you know, a alcoholic beverage that's being produced by fruit. Typically, it's grapes, but there are other types of wines. You can make it with apple, um, you know, melon. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, pretty much anything, any wine made in the state of Alabama is going to be fruit wine, uh, not grapes. Uh, they run sweeter. Alabama's not the best grape-growing environment. Nope. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. And, well, the grape, the grapes you get will be very because it's so hot. They've got to, they're just gonna have so much sugar in them that you're. It's hard to make dry wine in Alabama. How about that? Yep. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah, the, the wines are gonna be sugar bombs. Yeah. 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 Um, um, and then, so what defines be beer tasty. separately? Let's say again. Yeah. Beer is well, made with grain. Yeah. Uh, first of all. Uh, barley. And so, uh, and then it is uh, bold and uh, to remove the sugar from the grain, mm -hmm. as opposed to just mashing the grain up to get to the sugar. You're actually going to make sugar water from uh, boiling the grain for as long as you can to get it all out. Okay. Yeah. So when we think of beer, what Bo's talking about is, is malt. Yeah. Uh, malted barley. And so that's yes. essential to the brewing process. Okay. Um, all the enzymes necessary to do the conversion are, are contained within the grain themselves. Um, so it's it's like you're almost doing when when you think of malting, it's like a mini germination followed by a quick cook, and mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. you know some of those sugars have been partially digested. The enzymes have been woken up, and then as everything is kind of dried out and kilned, uh, they kind of go dormant. Mm -hmm. And then in the brewing process, we want to wake those enzymes up 
so they could start breaking down those sugars further. And then that creates the fermentable wort, which is then what the yeast will, will consume. And let's actually, let's go back just a little bit mm-hmm. because I'm not sure. I mean, let's talk about how you make alcohol, period. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, yeah, some people, some people may, I mean, will this, would these class know? Um, no, but let's let's do the let's do the last few definitions of, okay, of what we're sure. talking about, and then we'll get into the history of fermentation. I think that sure. that that would be a better place to start with how sure. it's made at all. Well, um, sure. So, are there any other are, are beer and wine kind of enough to to cover the gamut? Or well, I mean, you could think of cider. Uh, cider is mm-hmm. essentially it's a type of wine, uh, okay. specifically mm-hmm. just apples. So it is uh, apples, or okay. apples yeah. or pears. Apples or pears, and there can um, be combinations of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there are, there are all kinds of different things. If it's a grain, a lot of times you can ferment it. If it's a fruit, you can ferment it. Um, there's mead that's made with honey, and it's yep. essentially a wine. Um, yep. Okay. So essentially, so. our big split is wine is fruit, beer mm-hmm. is grain, and mm-hmm. everything else is something inside one of those two categories? By and large. I would yep. say that's fair. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Then I think that's a good definition to kind of take us through the rest of this conversation today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Bo, you are correct. Most of these students are not going to know how alcohol is made in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people listening have some idea, but not um, a end-to-end uh, right. view on it. So if you want to walk us through that, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, fermentation is uh, it's, it's just essentially the conversion of sugar uh, into... Uh, carbon dioxide and into alcohol. Uh, I know Clark could probably speak way, way more uh, intelligently about what is happening in the actual fermentation, but all that's really happening, I mean, on its most basic level, though, yeast is eating sugar, it's burping off CO2 and leaving alcohol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, yeah, we, we can think of fermentation as being like a, a survival strategy for for yeast and other mm-hmm. organisms, microbes. Um, okay, go ahead and explain that. So when, when we think of yeast, yeast actually prefer to live in an environment that's oxygen rich mm-hmm. and just like we do. And when they are living in that kind of environment, they do a normal type of cellular respiration. Uh, that's basically the process that makes cellular energy for them, just like we do. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when we do brewing, a lot of times what we want to do is we kind of stress the yeast out. And we do this by preventing more oxygen from getting into the system. Mm-hmm. So we create this sort of closed system. Um, oxygen is u- used up by the yeast. And then once it's used up and they don't have any more oxygen coming in, uh, a lot of times what you'll see is they'll start really picking up their fermentation process. And that's a survival mm-hmm. process. Um, so they're breaking the down the water to get they to use the it as a survival process is because it's just it produces much less energy. So are they breaking down um, sugar to get to that oxygen, or what are they yep. doing? They're yeah. breaking down sugar. Well, so for example, when you think of you know normal cellular respiration, they're breaking down sugar too. Mm-hmm. But that normal sugar that they're breaking down makes a lot more energy because of oxygen. Mm. Right. It, it not. I don't want to go into too much detail, but oxygen is important because it is an electron acceptor, yeah. and it's at the very end stage of the process. Um, if you don't have that electron acceptor, then that cellular respiration that produces the bulk of the energy mm-hmm. can't occur. Okay, that makes sense. And so fermentation uh, occurs, and okay. fermentation produces like way less energy. Yeah. And so it's a survival strategy. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't realize it was a secondary process. I always thought it was yep. the the. Yep. Well, and you know the the thing with fermentation is it can it can occur at the same time that cells are respiring, but mm -hmm. it's it's an inefficient process for them. Yeah, uh, you got to think of CO two as being a waste product, and ethanol is a waste product. Mm -hmm. Okay, and it's yeah. actually toxic for these for the organisms. Yeah, um, I know that mm -hmm. at a certain point they'll die. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, while we're on yeah, that, so the yeast is the yeast is like uh, we don't have any more oxygen. Let's start eating this sugar. Yeah, you know. And so it starts eating that sugar, and then, and that, I'm sure on a very cellular level, it's sort of like, well, look, we're going to get some more oxygen, but let's just eat this now. Yeah. Uh, even though our, you know, it produces something toxic for us, but then we just know we just never allow the yeast to, you know, get more oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, okay. Uh, so we have these little creatures that live inside our sugary water mixture. Um, right. They're making alcohol for us because we're mm -hmm. stressing them out, um, or we're not providing them with oxygen. And mm -hmm. um, are the is this one species of yeast? Is this a bunch of creatures? Is this within how how wide of a how wide of a range of little creatures are we talking about? Are these well, like within the range of of domesticated dogs? Or are these within the range of like it, it's all like domesticated birds? dogs? Okay. So. It's all one species for the most part. Um, it's Saccharomyces cerevisiae, or Brewer's. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the same yeast you use to make bread. Okay. Um, it's the same yeast that's used to make wine, cider, mead. Um, it's all the same. It's the same species. However, those species have tons and tons of strains. And we could think of strains as being kind of like, yeah, the different breeds of dogs. Okay. And just like different breeds of dogs, some of them perform at different tasks better than others. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that's awesome. Um, and I, so I assume that there are some that are better for, for beer and some that are better mm -hmm. for wine yeah. and some that Absolutely. are better for mead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, could, I mean, some... you could make beer with with the yeast that you use to make bread, but it would be a gross yeasty beer. Oh, it just <laughs> tastes funky. Uh, okay. Yeah, it would, taste, taste, it would taste odd. But it would taste very bready. Yeah, but yeah. like, yeah, there are, there are yeasts that leave lots of flavor behind or leave sort of fruity flavors in whatever you're making there are yeasts that are just leave absolutely no flavor behind whatsoever and all you get is whatever you uh ferment started with, with whatever yeah. whatever you started with exactly so yeah it's it, yeah. that's a very good way to dogs is a good analogy okay cool and yeah it, i'm uh, glad that yeah and there, and there are to be to be clear there are some other species um of yeast too mm. um so if we think of it they're different they're Two main. If, if we look at uh, like the main brewing yeast, we have two main types. We have okay. ale yeast and lager yeast, and they're different species. So, oh. the ale yeast is the Saccharomyces cerevisiae, uh, whereas the lager yeast is Saccharomyces pastorianus. Okay. And so, and they do different things, and they brew differently too. So, mm -hmm. if we think of ales, they tend to hang out at the very top of the wort, at the very beer. They're, so the little creatures are living at the top of the bottle. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. Whereas the lager yeast tend to be bottom fermenters, so they hang out by the bottom, and they actually like different temps. So if mm -hmm. you look oh. at if you look at the um, ale yeast, they like warmer temperatures, mm -hmm. and lager yeast like cooler temperatures. Okay. And, and there's other types of yeast too. Um, so you have Britannomyces, uh, which kind of gives a barnyard. Uh, kind of flavor to think that in a lot of more, um, you know, kind of Belgian-y styles or um, farmhouse ales um, in places like the Netherlands or Belgium and France. 
Well, now mm-hmm. I kind of want to try those in bread. Yeah. I mean, there's other stuff too, but those are the main ones that we see. Yeah. And yeah. here's the thing about yeast, though. When you hear, like, Clark talk about lager yeast liking cool temperatures and ale yeast liking warm temperatures and Belgian yeast, you know, leaving sort of a barnyard flavor or whatever, those yeasts have, uh, now have been cultivated and produced to make, to do those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, kind of in the same way that domestic dogs are, right? Like, the absolute, domestic absolute, dogs we have now are in, bizarre. Right. Yeah. But, ten th- I mean, when we started brewing 30,000 years ago, or however long And ago, let so me stop just... you right there. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, whichever one of you wants to kick us off, I'm fine with that. But let's just get a brief um, history of kind of... Hu- let, 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 let's just do human beings brewing because I know that some yeah. other animals will eat fermented fruit and kind of set up situations in which fermented fruit can happen. Um, right. I know that like, some kinds that. of ants grow fungus and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. let's just concentrate on humans um, brewing. Right. Okay. And yep. uh, where do we start? What were we doing? And how have we gotten to where we are now? It, it started in Sumeria. Okay. Yep. So, I mean, we've been brewing you know since we started agriculture so it's it's one of those very very early uh processes that we've learned to master that's one um, of the and, reasons we started out uh, architect uh, architecture yeah. uh agriculture yeah <laughs> uh, and, and so and it, it has driven agriculture too why mm-hmm. why we preferred certain grains and so um we found that certain types of barley are better at this production than others mm-hmm. um and so you know that this kind of quest for fermented products is, is guided a lot of agriculture. Um, and it, I mean, it started, I'm sure, I mean, we don't have any verifiable proof of it, but I mean, it started by someone left some grain in a pot that got some water in it. Yeah. And then there's so much yeast in the air, it fell into that and it fermented and that person found it and said, I wonder what this tastes like and drank it. And yeah. then the rest is history. I mean, and yeah. then they were like, whoa. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> it makes me feel like this. Yeah. <laughs> so. And speaking of but, that, yeah. for all of my students that are under 21, this is mm-hmm. not carte blanche to go do this stuff. You have to That's wait. That's right. The person yeah. who found it was 21. So, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then they discover, but then you also discover that this is a great way for preserving not only grain, but fruit or honey. Mm-hmm. Or anything like that it makes your crop it stretches your crop so much further uh that you know and when water so you've got that so it does actually also, preserve the caloric content of oh yeah uh yeah, beers have a high caloric content mm-hmm. you know most you think of most 12 ounce beers that you'd probably drink and they're going to be up you know pretty close to 200 calories mm-hmm. okay it's liquid food it's liquid mm-hmm. bread mm-hmm. um so you know and you know, it, it's it's one of those things that has been used as a food supplement. Um, yeah, we see in history that also the brewing process, uh, the fermentation process, has it renders a lot of things that would otherwise be dangerous to drink uh, or to mm-hmm. consume uh, safe. That's um, just the alcohol to water. bad stuff, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you think of water, and it, it has lots of different microbes, and a lot of those microbes are not, you know, things you want to ingest. Yeah. Um, so part of the brewing process is that we have to boil things mm-hmm. and because we're boiling, we're sterilizing that water. So, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of bring it to a, a little bit more modern time, if we look back to, uh, you know, the cholera epidemic that they had in the 1800s in, in, in London, mm-hmm. 
um, and it was killing large portions of the population, and it was due to the water supply that they had. Um, they had open sewers. They were those sewers were coming in contact with the drinking water. Yeah, and you know they uh, were picking it up and drinking. <laughs> My bad. My bad. I turned on the sink. <laughs> um, but you look at this, right? The folks that weren't getting ill were the brewers. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because, you know, even though they're using the same water supply, they were having to boil that wort for about 60 minutes or so. All right. That Anything that everything. was in there was, you know, killed. Cool. So cholera wasn't, you know, happening to them. And because they were brewers and just like brewers today, they, they have shift beers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were they were the happiest and the healthiest of the bunch in, in well, London during that time. And and during the cholera, I mean, like that was probably their shift beers were probably their meals for the day by and large. Yep. Also, so ah, I yep. mean, okay, so uh, we have this ancient Sumerian. We're making mm -hmm. some kind of rough beer in a mm -hmm. pot. Um, <laughs> yep. And then what was the next step after that? I assume we were doing that for a long time, but what, what well, was the next like trick or they, technical? They started recording it. So you could think of recipes. Um, mm -hmm. Even some of our earliest beer recipes are from the Sumerians and the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's cool. Um, so what, yeah, so what, you what, find what it time periods do we have on that? It. What age are we talking about? Uh, well, geez, I don't know. You know, the Sumerians, have... it's like a long, long time ago. But that's... Yeah. Um, I'll look it up. That's got to be over, eight, I'd say, about six thousand years ago, yeah. seven thousand years ago. Um, again, uh, that I don't know. I'm not so sure. I really don't know. Yeah, but <laughs> it's about that far back. The oldest recipe oh. looks like it's thirty nine hundred years old. Oh, thirty nine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. two thousand BC or two thousand. Right. Yeah, BC. Yeah. So pretty old. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's old. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean it's it's a long time back, and so they, this is stuff that they they were recording, mm -hmm. um, you know. And, and sometimes because you know you think of uh, there's these ties that they have these different cultures um, with their religion mm -hmm. and with the agriculture and the production of crops and food. Um, so even some of these recipes kind of take on a almost a, a sort of religious tone to them. Yeah, because it had to look like ma like magic. I mean, you didn't know that these little creatures were living in there at that point. Mm -hmm. you didn't yeah. know. It, it was a blessing of the gods. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. and so it was what what science to us looks like magic to them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, we to be fair, I mean, we didn't really realize what was the driving force behind fermentation till you know the mid eighteen hundreds. Oh, mm -hmm. I guess so. And right? I think that was yeah. uh, Louis Pasteur that actually figured that out. That's really cool. And so they had, I mean, by the, what, when did they pass the German pure, beer purity laws, the 1600s? So they knew vaguely what it was. They just didn't quite know the science behind well, it. They, and, uh, however, they didn't have yeast to that. That's true. That's true. So yeast was not part of the, the Reinhardt. very true. Yeah. So um, they, they, they knew that the buildings were important, but they didn't know why. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So at that point, the really old stuff. They're making everything. They're making beer. Mm -hmm. They're making wine. They're making meads. They're mm -hmm. they're doing the range of stuff. Um, then, as we move forward, has it essentially been the same process? Once you wrote a recipe down, has there been? Did, did the Romans figure anything out? The Greeks did? Was there anything? Well, the, the Romans. It's it's interesting. So, you know, you look at some of the some of the different cultures around um, Europe at the time. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, the Mediterranean area, they're more about the wine. And beer is actually, depending on the culture, was looked to seem like a primitive kind of hick thing to do. So the Romans, they love their wine. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but a no lot beer. of the surrounding folks to the north of them didn't. <laughs> they drank beer. And that was just due to their climate. And um, that was so just available crops? Or is that Well, something... yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, barley grew well uh, up in, you know, northern parts of Europe, like Germany and, and France. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And if you think of wine, one of the main wine growing areas is, is Italy. Yeah. And that's where the Romans were. And, and then the Romans, they look at this as kind of, you know, these uncivilized tribes are drinking this, you know, uncivilized product. It's not wine. And so they mm-hmm. were kind of looked down upon. Um, also, barley is way quicker and easier to mm-hmm. grow than grapes. Yep. Uh, grapes take a lot of work, a lot of energy, and truly can take years before they're starting to produce grapes that you can do anything with. Yep. Barley, you could grow in a year, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, so it's a single season. crop. Okay, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, that's that's really cool. And then so brewing processes were the same for them. They They didn't bring anything new to it. Um, well, you know, hops are the big thing. So mm-hmm. that's the next big addition when we look at brewing. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, they didn't initially use hops. Um, you know, prior to that, they would use herbs that were around. Um, they'd be throwing them in, you know, and sometimes these herbs are, nowadays we know they're really kind of bad for <laughs> you. Mm-hmm. Um, so what were, they, what were they doing that was bad for them? Well, what, they didn't know they were bad for them. Um, I mean, it's kind of, you know... They're exploring their options, I guess ah. is the way I describe it. Like when we think of what they were using, a lot of the other herbs that they were putting in their beer, they were mm-hmm. doing that to add flavor. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and so some things that you know that are flavorful are, are also toxic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think they put wormwood in it for yep. a while, uh, which we know now can is not very good for you and no. but you can cause some hallucinations. Yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> So. But we, we think of those early types of beer as, as gruits. And, you know, they still, gruits are, it's kind of a medieval beer. Gruits is but it's spelled G R U E T S? G R U I T. Okay. All right. And, and we still see gruits produced, you know, today, although they're very rare. So, you know, the, I know in Belgium they have it. Um, you know, and but that's they, it's, we think of that as a medieval beer. Mm-hmm. And that's no hops, yeah. or what? it has no hops at all. Okay. Um, and that's how most beer was for most of its history was without hops. And so when hops did that is really get... a, a medieval thing? When oh, so medieval, so so um, turn of the last it, millennium. Yeah, about I think it's around the twelve hundred. Okay. Um, yeah, and, that sounds that sounds about right, Clark. Yeah, so it's you know, and we see that in more in like monastic cultures using it. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, and they did that because it adds bitterness to the beer. That uh, that bitterness is when we say bitterness, it's not like bitter in the sense of like medicinal bitter, but it's it, it cuts the sweetness out of the beer. Yeah. Right. So if if you were to produce a beer today without any hops in it, it would be very sweet. I assume it, it would also be alcoholic that... tasting, wouldn't it? No, not necessarily. I mean, it depends on the yeast. Oh, okay. um, yeah. If you if you have a yeast that's capable of really converting a lot of sugars, well then yeah, yeah but it, that would be like almost what we describe as being fusel. It'd be hot. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. It would give you that kind of warmth that you have if you're drinking like a whiskey, which isn't okay. pleasant when you're drinking a beer. Yeah, I see. Um, that's very strange tasting. But, mm-hmm. like, 
if we think of the you know hops, they were added in to kind of add some bitterness and herbally notes. Um, hops also have some other uh, compounds that can give a wide range of a wide range of flavors and aromas. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know they, what they started to notice is that when they were doing that, adding the hops actually caused the beer to remain stable longer. Um, yeah, because They're hops present. have an antiseptic quality to them. Okay, there's a preservative in there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Interesting. They're actually, I mean, yeah, they're, they can be, the compounds in the hops can be lethal to a lot of bacteria. And but it doesn't is, impact the yeast. I, and I think there's some fair evidence that the addition of hops was at first exclusively for preservation. Mm-hmm. And mm. then it was like, oh, this tastes these nice. kind of taste good too. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's add these in. You know what I mean? It was a happy accident. But at the end of the, at, at first, it was a strictly utilitarian Mm-hmm. Okay, Move. that's cool. Yeah. Okay, so we're in the 1200s. Wine is the same as it was thousands of years mm-hmm. ago. Beer just got hops stacked onto it. Mm-hmm. Um, when's our next change? You know, I think it's just we start getting lager. That's the next change. Okay. And... So everything we've talked about now has been ale yeast. Okay. Um, and we start seeing the formation of lagers um, around 1400. Mm-hmm. And what okay. Clark has taught, and, and that means like an ale, when you're fermenting ale yeast uh, to make your beer, uh, that means it's going to sit at, a, at its optimal temperatures, and optimal is in quotation marks, but between like 65 degrees and, or even like, yeah, like 65 degrees and maybe 80 degrees. Okay. It's like its sweet spot. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Lagers. Loggers enjoy cooler temperatures down to even like 50 degrees. Um, oh, okay. And uh, it, the fermentation, it, doing that slows the fermentation down, mm-hmm. uh, but also produces some interesting flavors and dryness to the beer itself. Oh, yep. Okay. Uh, Loggers so, are very, very clean beers. Uh, mm-hmm. They are, they're very hard to brew. They're very clean and they are unforgiving to any sort of mistake. Yeah, I can imagine. Yes. Whereas ales can hide a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can hide a lot of crimes around an ale. Uh, loggers, <laughs> yeah. you've really kind of got to know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and okay. Not, that's not to say that it's difficult. You have to remember, at the end of the day, beer is just beer. It is not mm-hmm. a difficult thing to make, literally. Yeah. I mean, dum-dums have been doing it for thousands of years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The first time <laughs> was on accident. So, yeah, that, yeah, that doesn't exactly. mean it's good, though true no it doesn't it just means it's drinkable yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> you can drink it and not get sick it's not poison well, for the, the vast majority of human history pretty yeah. much everything has just been well i can eat it or drink it and it won't make me sick yes. yep <laughs> taste was very secondary to not die yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> okay so we're in the 1400s we have this new kind mm-hmm. of yeast this new cooler brewing process and mm-hmm. wine hasn't changed still no nope, it's pretty much the same all right so what's our and, next and, thing you know, I, and I think the next thing I think is the the purity loss, the German purity loss. Okay, would you would one of you go through that those real quick? I'll let, I'll let Bo take a swing in that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Clark. <laughs> well, the German purity. Uh, the There's only three things initially, but now we got four. Yeah. Uh, well, the German purity laws are laws that date back to I think the 1600s, uh, and they are the laws that say pretty much if you want to call this beer, it can have water barley and hops in it that's it mm-hmm. and then they added mm-hmm. yeast yeast is now part of uh, yep. that 
Yeah. But that's the only thing that could be in your beer uh, for yep. you to call it beer. Um, and so, I mean, it's, and that is, that is an industrial, that is government um, looking over industry is what that is. Yeah. Uh, at the time, it's, there it's, were a it's lot a of regulatory action. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Because before people would stick in like, hey, well, you know, my grandma liked putting this in the beer. Exactly. And then, yeah. you know, people get sick and they get killed. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Germany also exported a yeah. lot of beer. They were they looking did. out for themselves. Um, yeah. So uh, and those those laws are still in effect in Germany. They are a World Heritage Law mm-hmm. now. Oh, um, that's cool. That's really so. interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and so, Germany really is sort of the birthplace. I would probably say the birthplace of industrial beer making. Yeah, and, that, yeah. and you know, for the most part, though, when, when we look at that too, is that's kind of a rarity. So mm-hmm. everywhere else that's making beer is not doing it on that kind of industrial scale. Um, at that time. At that time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So beer for a long time was more of the house thing. That was that was something that you would make. That mm-hmm. like. Your wife would would make beer. It, yep. it was actually like, you know, we Brewsters, which are were women brewers. Yeah, that's something... beer. It was it was not typically a male thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. At that point, for a uh, very very long time, women made yep. beer. Yep, that's really and funny so, compared to now. Well, mm-hmm. now it's male dominated. Yeah, um, completely. Yeah, and that's when we start getting the that that kind of arises when we start getting the industrialization of beer. Oh, so, so then it becomes masculine. Yes, mm-hmm. because it it makes money at that point, <laughs> right? right. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not just no, I mean, you're it, making it for the household. So it was everything was yeah. local. So mm-hmm. every household had their beer recipe. Um, mm-hmm. Every local pub had a couple of their beer recipes. Everybody brewed. Mm-hmm. That was just what you did, and especially when you look at England, they really did that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. But it's it's not it's not a commercial enterprise for the most part, and also the and uh, having a brewery or brewers in your town also led to other industry and other mm-hmm. things. Yeah, uh, if you got your if you were a baker, you got your yeast or barm is what they called it mm-hmm. from the brewer. You would go over to the brewer, he would give you some leftover dregs from making beer, and you would take that home, keep it fed, sort of like a sourdough, and that's mm-hmm. how you would make your bread. I mean, that's, yeah. that was your leveting for your bread. Well, and even then, like if, if you think of it, early breweries tended to have a bakery associated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you still see that today when you when you think of uh, monastic traditions in brewing. Oh, really? Yep. So there would be like a yep. brewery so, and a bakery in the same building or, or next exactly. to each other? They'd be right next to each other. So Fire you would source. Have, yeah. I mean, you have all that malt, the spent grains, mm-hmm. and the spent grains become the source of you know, your flour. Uh, um, you have your yeast from the brewing process, which becomes the way for you to, you know, you know, make the bread rise. Mm-hmm. Um, you and, have a giant furnace to yep. make to boil the beer that you use to heat your oven. So you might as well um, make bread at the same time. Yeah, that absolutely. No wasting fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So that takes us up to that point. Um, after the German laws, what what are we getting after that? Um, would it just be the Industrial Revolution, essentially? We, we get the industrial aspects of it. And so this industrialization really takes off in Britain. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because you got to think about the rise of empires here. So Britain becomes a huge empire, um, and they are having to transport their beer all over the place. Um, 
they also we see the rise of some styles that we know today. So okay. it's hard to know like what beer was like. And if you look at real old recipes, brewing recipes, most of them sound pretty awful. <laughs> mm-hmm. but I know some you... brewers who have made the, the their brewery got ancient recipes and made yep. them, and they were like, "These are terrible." Like the you, they have to change the recipe just to make it drinkable to the modern palate. Uh, yeah, and, and, uh, and you start getting this is where you get the rise of the porter. Mm-hmm. So the porter becomes the if, if you think of like today like the. American light lager as being the big beer that everybody has and that we find all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can you can travel anywhere and find a, a Bud Light. Yeah, right. Um, this the porter was the original Bud Light. Okay, so that's what everybody had. That's what everybody. Yeah. Made. Well, that's what that's what all the the Brits did. Okay. Mm-hmm. They because they were that. the empire. The, you know, when we still look at Germany and we and we look at Czechoslovakia. Um, and the, or Bohemia at that point, mm-hmm. they were they were still doing their loggers, mm-hmm. and you know you still had Belgium, the Netherlands, and France kind of doing their farmhousey things. They weren't doing porters. Porters were really a an English thing, and that's that becomes the first industrial beer. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a style that is made for that. And you know when we talk about porters then versus porters now, I mean a, a porter was just basically an ale. Um, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the same porter that you'd make today. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and and wine I assume is about the same as well. We're just moving to industrial production scale at this point. Yeah, I mean wine basically that becomes just a little bit more industrialized to well, the scale well, of it. But wine has also been a pr- wine. The process of wine is a lot less labor intensive than <laughs> making beer, and so it, uh, wine has. I mean. They were industrially making wine essentially in the Roman Empire just yep. because the Roman Empire was so big and how much they drank. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Giant, uh, giant vats of it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, they still did giant vats of beer too, but the wine process is just, it's le- uses way less energy. Yeah. Uh, and so it is not a, it, the Industrial Revolution didn't change how you make wine too terribly much. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, as opposed to beer, where it was like, oh, wait, we can run a gas line into here and it's just going to burn. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's way easier uh, well, than throwing it, chunks of wood into a fire. For and, exactly. and this is where you, you start seeing industrial malting. Mm-hmm. You know, so malting is an essential part of the brewing process. You, mm-hmm. you know, brewing with unmalted grains is not good. Yeah. Um, because you, you need that modification of the grain to actually do the process. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, still today, some breweries have a malting facility associated with them, but that's rare. But we start mm-hmm. to see the compartmentalization of these different processes. Mm-hmm. And malting is what, what you do when you malt is you, you, you grow the barley, obviously. And then you take the barley, you, uh, you wet it down so it starts to germinate, so it starts to become, it's, it's essentially going to sprout again. Yeah. And so what it really had, but what it's really doing deep down is it is building up a lot of sugar inside of it to give that seedling energy to grow into a barley plant. Mm-hmm. Well, you start that process, but then you stop it by putting it in an oven. So all that sugar is still in that little small kernel of barley, but mm. uh, it's not going to germinate now, but yeah. you still got all that sugar. So then you grind. And so it's a pretty scientific process, uh, but you can, you can roast that barley to different levels of toastiness. Mm-hmm. 
and that will change that can change the flavor and color and texture of your beer completely the more or less you uh malt it yeah and so that's where malting comes from and that's where the like clark was saying in the industrial revolution that's one of the big advances of in beer in the industrial revolution is being able to control malt so much better yeah um and does that pretty much take us to the modern time that brings you pretty much to modern times except i guess you get the different varieties uh our better understanding of the different varieties of hops uh the different grains but no major technical Um, advantages or differences or yeah and i mean now things are 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 much more global Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so you know we could buy you know when we think of malts we're getting malts oftentimes from canada um Mm. you know because barley grows at kind of cooler temps so we find it like canada like alberta you know kind of you know Manitoba. The plain states, the plain yeah, states, the, are... the Northern plain states. Um, you'll see it in Britain and, and Germany and whatnot. Well, um, I assume that there are, a lot um, of grain. Yeah. The one other thing that would be more modern would be things like adding in um, corn syrup or uh, oh, that's rice syrup and things like that. Yeah. Right? Yes. That is okay. definitely an industrial change there. Yeah. Uh, and that would that be like is... 1950s ish when that started. Probably that would, earlier than that. Yeah, um, after Prohibition. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it is. It's it's a cheap it's a cheap answer to a problem. Okay. Um, yeah. So a lot of times the issue is, you know, you want sugar, but you don't want to impart the flavor of the grain. Okay. And that's a nice thing about corn syrup. Corn syrup has no flavor. Yeah, it's just sugar. It's just sugar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, rice syrup has no flavor. It's just sugar. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a quick way for you to add more sugar to the mix. It allows you to cut back the amount of grain you need to use, which uh, like the malted barley. And so it you're is making a cheaper sugar, beer. rice, rice, corn are way cheaper yeah, than than barley. barley. Yeah, that makes good sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can make if you're using rice syrup, or corn syrup, or whatever in your beer, making the beer goes so much faster because you're just dissolving syrup in water as opposed to boil and grain for 60 or 90 minutes <clears throat> yeah, trying to extract all that sugar. And I imagine uh, well, that taking an industrial quantity of liquid up to boiling is not mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Well, I mean, if you think of, like, like today, uh, hard seltzers. Yeah. Yeah. Hard seltzers are just like a, a corn syrup. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, that's all you're using. You're not using malted grains at all. Yeah. No. So, so exactly, it, it, it's really just a very simple, and you know, you're not typically using hops. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a, it's just a boil to sterilize, and then boom, add your yeast, and you, you're good to go. Okay. Cool. Very and quick. Not that we're gonna talk. Not that I want to concentrate on it today at all. Yeah. But um, when did distilling get in? Um, get into the mix. <sighs> Distilling's been around for a long time too. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know when it started. But I mean, like it's. It relatively short compared to like brew like brewing. Are we talking about five hundred years, a thousand? Yeah, probably. I would say five hundred or less. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know the exact date myself, but yeah, that's why uh, I didn't want to really concentrate on it because I knew that wasn't our, the point of our conversation. But, but you well, know, like um, when well, we look I'm, at it, it's a very similar process initially. Yeah. yeah, it's the same initial ingredients. You're just taking the water out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. According okay. to something I just literally just looked up there's clear evidence of distilling uh from arabia in the ninth century uh okay so 
So about a thousand years ago. Yeah, about a thousand years ago. Cool. So, but the first still time a long we see time it. ago, but comparatively yeah. speaking, not very. Long. Yeah, so, the first yeah. time we see it industrially is probably, or not industrially, but in great quantities, sounds like 1500s. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that's a good history, unless there's any little bits that, that either of you can think of that you would want somebody to know. I, th- I think we covered it all. All right. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was pretty extensive. <laughs> I hope we didn't jump in too deeply too quickly, but nope, yeah. <laughs> that's fine. We like that. Uh, my students are used to me going off on tangents for okay, good. Yeah, cool. quite some time. <laughs> Um, okay, um, let's get back to some of the more particular parts of this. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about local and regional yeast. Um, we've talked about two types of yeast so far, the the um, lager and the other one was ale, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know that for like sourdoughs and things like that, for people making bread, there's this real big thing about local and regional yeasts. Um mm-hmm. This, I'm not sure which one of you wants to take this, but go for it. Uh, what am I going to find with different yeasts from different places? These are little creatures making our alcohol. Well, I mean, they're going to do things differently. They all have their their metabolic processes are a little bit different. Um, when we think of local yeast, you know, it's a lot of times the same sort of species or mm-hmm. like that we think of as being the brewer's yeast. There are other yeasts that could do a lot of this stuff too, but mm-hmm. um, we find them growing on plant material. So you could go out with a swab and swab a flower or swab a leaf and plate it, mm-hmm. and you'd end up with yeast on there. Oh, so you yeah, go there are, a petri dish? Yeah, just they're, like... they're everywhere. Oh. There are they're thousands ubiquitous. and thousands and thousands of kinds of yeast, and they are yeah. all just floating around in the air all the time. So uh, when I'm making a beer, when you're making beer or wine, are you using one, are you using just a poodle, or are you using a few different kinds that are all mixed together? Typically, you're using one. Okay. Mm-hmm. It, but it just depends. I mean, yep. I, I in the homebrew store, I've got packages of yeast that are very strictly controlled, come from a very sterile, controlled environment, and they are this one kind of yeast. Mm-hmm. I've also got some that are just, yeah, we put like three or four in here, and you're going to get the best of each one. Do you know what I mean? Okay, uh, yeah. So it just, uh, you know, it all depends on what, what you're looking for. Uh, yeah. I mean, and... It, Beer originally, for a very, very long time, I mean, you would ferment your beer, and there's a lot of breweries that still do it. You just ferment your beer in open vats and just open the windows and let wild yeast come in Yeah, and do its thing. Yeah, uh-huh. I actually have a, a little bit of a um, story about that. We make a lot of bread, and so our house kind of just has yeast in it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I left a bottle of pineapple juice. I like poured it into one of those <laughs> IKEA clamp top bottles. Mm-hmm. Um, clamped the top down, left it, and left it on the counter for a few days, not thinking. Mm-hmm. And of course, it fermented, and the CO two built up pressure. And I opened it, and I now have a permanent uh, pineapple stain on the ceiling of my <laughs> living room. <laughs> Yeah, so I definitely know that you can get it right out of the right out of the environment. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it can make some very very delicious beer. Uh, but it can make some very gross ones too. Absolutely. <laughs> so and it's you know, kind it, of rolling that, the dice. That, well, that well, is it is the biggest part of your local yeast when you're talking about doing wild fermentation. If your local yeast is sort of clean, like uh, Switzerland, they do a lot of wild sour beers because they. You know, they're up there in the mountains, it's clean yeast, it's, you know, uh, the humidity's nice. I can't imagine what a 
wild fermented Alabama beer would taste like. It would, yeah. you know, everything's just so wet, and uh, <laughs> I think it, I think it could be pretty rough. Uh, well, you know, and there's ways that they get around this too. Uh, places mm-hmm. that still do open fermentation often practice something called blending. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so what they will do is they'll take batches between years or, you know, where maybe they had like, let's say 2018 had a really great batch and they'll reserve some of it aside. And then mm-hmm. when they did the 2019 batch, they would mix in. Mm-hmm. And it, they try to do that to give them more of a consistency. So that's uh, some you can of think the of old living yeast that they're trying to get in there? No, the, the finished no. beer. The finished beer. Okay, the so finished product, they'll blend it a lot of times. And that's just to make a more consistent product. Otherwise, every time – so for example, in, in Brussels, they have Cantillon. Okay. And Cantillon does open fermentation. And oh. it, this is in the middle of the city. And oh, so geez. one year, they will have a product that they really, really like. Um, and then the next year, they might have one that's a little bit rough around the edges. And what they'll do is they'll add them together. And they keep doing this process of adding and adding. And so by blending it, you get a more consistent product. So I can get a Cantillon from 2018, and then (laughs) one from 2019. They'll be different, but they're not so greatly different that it's a problem for the consumer. Okay. But you know, you don't want to. For most people, they don't want to go in and get a different experience. It's it's why if you go to a major macro brewery like Budweiser, you know, it's it's a lab. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a it looks like a factory in a lab. It's not. Not like you know, Cantillon. They're not um, open, the but window. they're very consistent. I can get a bud, bud anywhere in the world, and it's going to taste the same no matter where. Yep. What the giant industrial brewers do is amazing. Yep. Uh, it is truly, truly amazing, and I know there there's a lot to be said about giant industrialized beer uh, on on many di- from all different sides. But at the end of the day, they're taking an an, an agricultural product that varies. Literally from week to week, your sugar contents, your you know everything, mm-hmm. and they make it taste exactly the same yeah. anywhere in the world. It, I mean, you can, and they brew it all over the world. So you can get a Budweiser from Singapore, from Africa, from Germany, and from America, and put them all together in a line, and you won't be able to taste it. Yeah, that's a certain kind of skill, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's I mean, with with these local yeast, so. You know, we do have them, and you can culture them. So, um, so I know there are people that have been interested in doing of that. Of going from this wild local yeast to something that I can pick up at Bo's shop in a packet. It's it's a long it's a long process, but initially, what happens is what you would do is, let's say, you know, if you're being exploratory again, like I would swab a plant, swab a flower, um, go back to a microbiology lab, and we have nutrient like media. So when we talk about media, it's basically um, stuff that you're going to grow it on, Mm -hmm. right? And it's going to have all the nutrients. It will have uh, things to kind of keep out unwanted things such as bacteria or other yeast that we're just not interested in. And I would streak it out on there. So I'd just take the swab and just kind of rub the top of the media Mm -hmm. and grow it at a warm temp for a bit and see what grows. And then what I can do is I could take you know, you'll get individual little colonies or groups of, of the yeast. I can take those, um, go out, grow them in more media, and you keep growing them and growing them until you get, you know, you're pretty certain that you're only working with one organism. How would you? And be then you would you do a trial batch with that. So it's a lot of you know a lot of experimenting. Um, it's not easy to find a, a 
like a novel strain that tastes good. Oh, I see. <laughs> um, um, the other thing you could do is you could work with beer that had been sitting out and something funky happened. I and see. maybe that funkiness is good. And you could try to make recreate it. You can actually culture the yeast from that beer. Um, work with that, and you know, but you have a lot less control what's in there. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, that that kind of makes sense. Um, so you're you're essentially doing the going back to our dog analogy. You're essentially breeding out the traits you like. Um, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That's and, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm going to start using this beer, this dog analogy in this shop. It's a very good one. Yeah, yeah just have little <laughs> little dog pictures. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the uh, the opening the window and letting it ferment is just like finding that stray in the woods and taking it home, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Just making you sure. never know what's gonna. Ha- you're not quite sure what's gonna happen. Yep. Could be good. Could be in a bad. <laughs> but you know it's gonna live forever. <laughs> um, okay, so that's how we get a yeast that we like, um, and there are a bunch of different kinds. While we're on the topic of ingredients, are there regional ingredients as well? Or are we just talking about those three or four? Th- I, I know that with like fruit wines, and, and I imagine that meads are also very special. We'll talk about those in a minute. Um, but for beer, are, are there regional ingredients? Or are yes. we pretty much sticking to this? Okay, so. It, it's regional. Uh, you can have regional. So mm-hmm. hops, you know, the same variety of hops grown in different parts of the world mm-hmm. will taste different. Or they will have a little bit different alpha acid qualities to them. They would have uh, different types of secondary compounds. So I could take a hop and grow it in Michigan and mm-hmm. then take that same hop variety and grow it in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And I would end up with differences in them. And that's due to the nutrients that they're taking up from the environment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, water, an essential ingredient, is very different from wherever you are. Yeah. So the water in the south that we have is very different from the water up in the north. It's very different from the water that you would get in England, uh, yeah. the water that you would get in the Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in fact, a lot of times brewers, we, we change the way our water looks, the, the, different, the different kind of mineral components in it to emulate um, the water of a, a specific region. Yeah, so there's a, there's a big like regionality a in the water. Ago, or two weeks ago, maybe, where you were making water from somewhere? I was making uh, water that was, well, for my porter, I was making water that looked like London water. Okay, that was it. Because London is where we think of the porter is coming from. And so I was like, all right, I want to have, you know, a water profile that looks like what you would see there. And and that's very different than what we have in Montgomery. Yeah. So I had to add a bunch of different um, components, so adding gypsum, um, adding, you know, calcium chloride, all kinds of stuff to it to kind of cool. change up the chemistry just enough that it starts to look more like London's water rather than Montgomery's mm-hmm. water. That's really uh, and that's going to give my beer a more traditional English flavor to it or an English mouthfeel. God, that's mm-hmm. so wild that this changing, the, changing well, the, what makes the water is going to change it and, that much. But I guess wine, that makes sense because tap water tastes different place to place. Mm-hmm. And wine growing, they use a term a lot called terroir. It's mm-hmm. a French word that means soul and uh, soul. And so it um, and it is the flavor you get from something from where it is mm-hmm. like. Um, and that's very much in beer. But I mean, they talk about how grapes grown in this soil over here taste. Are they the exact same grape? Yeah, they're they've been watered and cultivated the exact same way. But the grapes from this side of this hill 
tastes completely different than grapes from the other side of that hill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the same way with beer. I mean, it, it's just like Clark was saying with that, like a hop grown in Michigan and a hop grown in New Zealand. They're going to, they're, they could be the exact same, uh, but because of the soil chemistry, the sunlight they get, the water they get, the kind of water they get, everything that plays into it is going to completely change the flavor of them. Mm -hmm. And you could probably taste them and they will taste completely different. Uh, and, and it's important to note too that because we're dealing with agricultural products, mm -hmm. like the barley that we utilize changes from year to year. Mm -hmm. And so Bo, would, Bo could talk more about this, but when he gets an order of barley, he mm -hmm. gets a sheet associated with that that gives mm -hmm. the specifications of that grain that he received. Oh, so, yep. so what if, metrics if are on the sheet like that? You would see that they differ. It's, just, it's essentially a, 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 it's a data sheet. Um, mm -hmm. Let me see. Let me, I don't have one with me right here, but let me pull up real quick just some grain on uh, one yeah, of my supplier's really websites. I'm just interested to see like what's – because like when you buy bread flour, essentially what you get is a protein content. Right. Um, well, you're, you'll get that too. So you'll get a protein mm -hmm. content. You'll get um, – we usually see the protein content in terms of um, free amino – like <laughs> like uh, I can't remember. It's like free amino nitrogen mm -hmm. um, or fan um, because those, those aminos are going to be utilized for the yeast to build their proteins. Okay. Uh, you'll get cool. a, a moisture content that changes from year to year, yeah. um, mm -hmm. and that has implications. Um, you'll get diastatic power, which is basically enzymatic power. That's that its ability to turn carbohydrates into sugars, right? Yep. Or starches mm -hmm. into sugars. Okay. Yep. But there are a bunch of different things on there that vary. Um, and, and it does. And, and you can look at these these differences. And so when Bo gets a shipment in, it could be the same grain. So he'll get, let's say he from Cargill or BSG, he gets two, you know, pale two row. Mm -hmm. Right. All right. Barley. All right. He'll look at that, that sheet from last year versus a sheet this year, there'll be differences in them. And, and hopefully those differences aren't significant because then you got to start doing, if they are, and you're working as a brewer, then what you'll start doing is blending your grains. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to change uh, to get the recipe. A more, yeah. yeah. Because you don't want your beer to change from year to year. So, for example, if you're making like, um, you know, like Oscar Blues is doing their brewing, right? And they're mm -hmm. making their Gales Pale Ale. Right, they want Dale's Pale Ale from this year to next year to be the same beer. Mm -hmm. They don't want it to have a. They don't want it to be a, a variable kind yeah. of beer. They don't want a 2018 version and a 2019 version, a 2020 version. So in order to prevent that, what they'll be doing is they'll be looking at the grain that they receive, and they will be if there are significant differences or they're outside of their specifications, they'll start actually blending things together to to kind of get things to be more. In the middle, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. hops cool. do this too. Hops change from year to year, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, especially in amino uh, in their alpha acid content. So they're then what's going to play a major role in bittering. Okay, and, so that's I mean, the metric that that describes that bitter flavor. Mm -hmm. Well, it's part of it. Yeah, alpha acid is what you said. Yeah, they're the alpha acids, um, and there are a couple different types of al uh, alpha acids, but they need to be, you know, starting to get into chemistry terms here. They need to be isomerized. Okay. That's why we have to do a 60-minute boil and oh, why okay. we add the hops at 60 minutes rather than, you know, for bitterness, we add them at 60 rather than at the very end of the product uh, process. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time to change the shapes of those 
alpha acids. And it's those alpha acids that contribute to what we call uh, the International Bitterness Unit, or IBUs, which okay. tells how and that, the beer is. And that is really the number that your average beer consumer wants to pay attention to. It's yeah. the IBU number. Yeah, we'll get um, into that a little bit later, because I, I, I do want to have a section specifically talking about when I look at a bottle, what am I looking for? Mm -hmm. um, okay. mm -hmm. But while we're on ingredients, um, I assume that that means that sometimes you get an ingredient and you make a recipe that you just can't make again until you get an ingredient that matches. Sometimes you can. So okay. there, yeah. there, there are times that you got to get a little bit um, creative. <laughs> where you got to get creative, um, yeah. and you might end up with something a little bit different. I, I, I know from homebrewing that happens to me. Mm -hmm. um, I'll be looking. I'll have a recipe in mind, and sometimes I'll go to get the supplies, and you know you. you Sometimes you don't have the supplies that you need, and you yeah. just yeah. work with what you have. Um, and, and, and brewers do that too. Brewers change up their recipes all the time. So mm -hmm. they'll do a batch of something, and they'll look at it, and they'll be like, you know, I like this flavor, but maybe I could try something with a little bit more biscuit flavor. And they might throw in a malt that will give a little bit more biscuit flavor. Mm -hmm. um, so you can, you can do that. Hmm. Okay. It, it's just like cooking, you know, yeah. it, it, culinary arts. It, every time way to you think add a little it. more, a little less of each thing until mm -hmm. you're slowly yep, that's a yep. winnowing it down. Um, mm -hmm. Now, you were talking about earlier before hops, or mm -hmm. yeah, before hops, they were adding all sorts of herbs and things like that. Is that coming back into fashion, or are they getting f those flavors some other way? Um, in, in short, <laughs> no, it's not coming back into into favor. Um, Gruits are, it's a very rare type of beer. Most people, I mean, it's an herbaceous kind of thing. You can do it. It's just don't don't work with hops. Yeah. So like bog myrtle works. Uh, people would use rosemary. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's a bunch of different things that you can use. And, and the different types of herbs that you use is really based on what's available to you and what your palate enjoys. Oh, Clark, make a rosemary gruit. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> That I awesome. recently made a rosemary saison. So, oh really? It's interesting. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, so, if I am tasting like strawberries in a beer, where is that coming from? Probably strawberries. <laughs> well, you just said we're not putting other things in beer. You can; those are adjuncts. Oh, so also, we're doing hops so, and those don't follow those the Ryan Hoska boat. They're also um, they're also uh, there are yeasts that will leave a strawberry flavor. Uh, yeah. Oh, specifically strawberry, really? Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, there are the, there are a lot of yeasts that can, uh, and this is getting well beyond technically what I know. I mean, you know what I mean? The science of it, I don't yeah. know a lot about. That's fine. But yeah, you can, there, they'll leave banana flavors or some mm -hmm. that'll leave strawberry flavors or some that will leave just, um, just no flavor at all. There's some that will leave flavors that, and the polite way to call it is barnyard flavors, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, but it's really animal shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and for whatever reason, that flavor does work in some beers. Uh, yeah, but um, so um, yeah, the 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 chemistry that happens in the fermentation can be really truly amazing with the yeah. flavors it leaves and creates. So with these, so. I think you call them uh, you call them adjuncts. Yep. So that these are things that are added in on top of those basic three or four ingredients. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So 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 that that range can probably be pretty much anything, right? Oh yes. yeah. 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 So oh, wow. I mean, when we think of when we talk about 
Budweiser making their beer, they make their beer with a large portion of adjunct. And it's not uncommon to do that. It's just you're, you're not going to – the German purity law, you're not going to meet. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. But like, um, if you're trying to that, make something that tastes like something specific, you can just throw that in the initial batch, right? Typically. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are people who make like strawberry milkshake beers and Ew, stuff like yeah, that. Chris. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but I, I mean, that's also chi- how you like, can get like, uh, fruit flavors or herb yep. flavors, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, chocolate flavors, coffee flavors. Yep. So they're really uh, just throwing coffee in there. Well, yeah. sometimes they can, okay. you can actually, some of the malts themselves, if you get a really dark malt, that's been really high kilned at high temperature mm-hmm. it will have that natural kind of coffee f- flavor to it okay um, cool. without but adding there... coffee but you can add coffee the problem with adding coffee sometimes is that you get a, a little bit of a slick with it and you that's the oil off the top yeah yeah but usually but, like yeah, but... you know, you'll, you'll, the depending on when you add it the yeast can incorporate a lot of those little oils so back onto to re, onto regional ingredients and these adjuncts mm-hmm. that we're ta- we're talking about. Um, I assume the United States is kind of just a melting pot of things, just because it's from everywhere. But if are there places that do use specific adjuncts, uh, or is it just yeah. so homogenized now that you know people use adjuncts based on where they are? So you know, if you think of you know like Africa, for example, barley mm-hmm. does not grow in Africa. Nope. So they would use like millet. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what, what, what um, flavor th- difference is that going to be? Uh, a world of difference. It's our, uh, you know, I've not had a millet beer, but it's not going to be the same as a barley beer. Yeah. Uh, molasses, for example. Mm-hmm. Oh, if you think yeah, of sorghum. True. So sorghum used to be something that was used in the U.S. Um, because that's it was easier to grow than barley. That like molassesy sort of flavor, that darker sugar yeah. flavor. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and you look at a lot used... of old beer recipes; they use molasses. Mm-hmm. Grits have been used a lot in brewing. Uh, uh, Rice has been used a lot in brewing. Uh, um, All sorts of stuff. I mean, uh, I mean, grits are corn. So, I mean, just using corn as your uh, base as opposed to barley. There, yeah, there. And and at the end of the day, beer comes down to what is growing around where you live. Yeah, and that's how people started making it. Do you know what I mean? Um, It's just sort of that simple. Um, I think at this point, even worldwide, it's so, I mean, you can get whatever, pretty, by and large, you can get pretty much whatever you want, whenever you want it now. Um, so you can make the same beer over and over and over again, as opposed to being like, well, we've got some rice and some corn and, oh, look, I found this millet as well or whatever. Yeah. Um, Yeah. to do what you need to, to make what you want to make. So now in the craft brewing scene, um, are we seeing that more globalized um, production of where you're just grabbing whatever you need specifically purchased? Um, well, or are you seeing people kind of going back? Kind of like, um, I think the thing I would draw a, a parallel to might be like the, the southern food traditions that are kind of coming back. Of where mm-hmm. a lot of these ingredients that have been set aside for the more common thing are coming back because they just have so much interest in them. It's a bit of both. Okay. I so, think it, I mean, go ahead, the, big, the big, the big commercial guys are still going to be using stuff on a much more industrial scale. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, you you think of some of the smaller craft breweries, um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of them are taking a local approach, um, it, and it depends on where you are. You know, I think if you, if you're looking at here in Alabama, it's a little harder um, because we don't have hops here. We don't really have 
you know, a local barley setup here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look at Michigan, they grow barley up there. They grow hops up there. Um, so they tend to source a little bit more locally um, when they can. It also depends, and this is really what it boils down to. It really just depends on what your brewing philosophy is. Yep. Okay. Uh, and what if you're on a commercial brewery, what is, what's the, what, what's your philosophy in your commercial brewery? Uh, do you yeah. want, I mean, it, there are people who may have breweries that they're doing nothing but pushing the envelope of what they can get and do. Uh, oh, cool. And there are other breweries that are doing nothing but pure tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are breweries who are sort of, and I think this is the most of them are sort of right in the middle. Uh, yeah. Yep. But, um. I mean, there's a brewery in Michigan called Scratch Brewing that they're like, um, they they forage most of their, a lot of their ingredients. I think they have a local malting house where they get their barley. Mm-hmm. They have a wood-fired uh, um, um, mash tun, which is what you bo- a bowl kettle that you boil your beer in. Yep. Um, I mean, and so, and compare that to, the new breweries that you see popping up everywhere that are just sleek and modern and yeah uh, and, and you so, know even then you may see like some of the smaller ones so i i think of a local version of this so if we look at um district brewing up in birmingham mm-hmm. yeah um they have a beer that is like a raspberry kind of beer and what they are doing and you know talking to the owners is that um the owner would go out along the roadside around this time of year and start collecting dewberries off the highway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You can see those now. Like if you take a walk through your neighborhood, they're weedy little tiny raspberry things that grow you know, right to the ground, hence dewberry. And you could collect them. Mm-hmm. And that's what they do. They collect a bunch of them and that's how they make their beer. And so it's, mm-hmm. that's a local ingredient that they're incorporating into that. Yeah, um, that's cool. Yeah. So you can There's do all- that. There's a cool, there's a great brewery, in, and I don't want to turn this into just brewery talk. No, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> but there's a wonderful brewery in Durham called Full Steam, and Full Steam does, uh, you can buy their beer in Montgomery. You can buy it at the Whole Foods, uh, and I'm, maybe some other places. But anyway, they are a very much a uh, farmy, locally sourced brewery. They do everything they can, and they have a beer with uh, pawpaws. Yep, in them, uh, which are uh, America's only native stone fruit. Oh, cool! Uh, uh, and they're not a very well—they're not an ingredient used in a lot of things, but they are delicious. And um, I mean, that's sort of their philosophy. And so, mm-hmm. like I said, like I said, I mean, it's it's all comes down to what your brewing philosophy is and what you are looking to do. Yeah, um, cool. All right, that makes a lot of good sense. Um, Okay, so I think that before we move on to brewing or breweries specifically, um, I think one thing I really want to get from both of you is I'm at the store. Uh-huh. I'm looking at all these things. Mm-hmm. Without being able to taste them, mm-hmm. what are the things that I can find on a bottle la- on a bottle label that <laughs> might help me? Okay, well, sure. First thing I would look at would be IBUs. Okay. Bitterness is, is something that most people, they, they have an opinion about. And the, the IBU is what? Hmm? The IBU is uh, what? The International Bitterness Unit. Okay. Yep. And it's going to tell you essentially how hoppy your beer is. Yep. So it's the uh, Scoville, but for Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Kind yep. of, yeah. 
But let's let's back up a little further than that, actually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if you don't, I mean, it, start with what you like. Mm-hmm. If you if you like Miller Lite, mm-hmm. Miller Lite is quote as a quote unquote pilsner. Okay. So if you like a crystal clear golden beer, mm-hmm. look for something that's like a pale ale or a lager or a pilsner, uh, something like that. So start with what you like. Yep. And then you can go from there. Uh, yeah, stay within style. Stay within style, yes. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people drink are, are very excited about IPAs and stuff uh, is because they are sort of like an like a domestic light beer, a Miller Lite, a Bud Light, a Coors Light. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they just have a little, they got more flavor. They got The flavor mm-hmm. has just been amped up tremendously. But it's something uh, that's familiar. It's exactly, it okay. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so let's, so I think you start there, start with what you know you like. Yep. Uh, and, and, and I'm not saying like, I know I like IPAs. Be like, I know I like kind of this flavor of beer. So this is golden and clear. So let's, let's start here, you know? Yep. And, and a lot of times uh, the, the beer on the bottles too will tell you the flavors that they have. Absolutely. And now, so you can even if you know metric... you like something that's fruity or sour, they're going to tell you on the bottle that it's fruity and sour. Right. Okay. And if that's just wanna... a marketing thing, I assume that they're just good it's at. smart because okay. you don't want to buy beer thinking you're getting a porter, and all of a sudden you end up with a goza or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, wow. exactly. You want to know what you're getting. Um, you know, so, so usually they will kind of tell you what kind of style it is. And so, they will tell you some of the main flavors. Go there. It, it sounds like what you're saying is that the, the beer families are close enough that I could just go and literally just look at how clear a liquid is or the color of the liquid and be okay. Almost. To Sometimes, a certain degree, yeah. 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 To a certain degree, okay. yeah. I would say that as a general rule, a, very, a broad general rule, yeah, that, that would work. Interesting. If you know you like beers that are brown, yeah. Drink brown beer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that's a, on a very basic level, you could totally do just that. Whereas mm-hmm. some things like wine, you really can't, like a red wine can be a huge they variety do. Not of things. All, not all reds yeah. are created yeah. equal. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you're going to get, let's just keep with the golden beer example. Cause yeah, that's sure. what we're talking Perfect. about. Um, you know, you can go from everywhere from a Miller Lite. Mm-hmm. To a uh, like a triple IPA uh, that let's say a Miller Lite is four and a half five percent alcohol, very clear. It's very you know you know exactly what it tastes like. Mm-hmm. To this thing that is going to taste like pine resin, and <laughs> while and 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 it tastes and it be twelve percent alcohol. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, yeah. It's a huge difference just in that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So. But start with what you like. That's the, the when I talk to people about what they want to brew or what beer they want to drink or anything like that. It is absolutely start with what you like. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so, and, and then, then go from there. And yeah, then, and then, so... I mean, then you get down to the nitty gritty. So, mm-hmm. okay, if yeah, you are a person that you don't like IBUs, you don't like bitterness, mm-hmm. um, then something with sixty IBUs is going to be probably too bitter for you. Okay, and, and yeah, what what's the range there like? I, I mean, typically what you see is from zero to probably about 70. Okay. Anything above 70 and you're starting to get into like the really kind of crazy. And there's only so much you can perceive for bitterness too. Could you place some common, like, could you place some common ones on there on that scale? All right. So like I would say if you had like a Miller High Life, 
it's <laughs> it's IBU is probably going to be like one or two. Okay. Um, yeah. And then, but if you're looking at like a Bell's Two Hearted, I think their IBU is around fifty or okay. four, between forty and fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that's a that's a big range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm looking. I'm looking up right now to see if I can. Yeah. What What is the Bell's Two yeah, to see if I can find like a an IBU range, um, and let's see. So, like a Belgian um, fat tire. Yeah, you know, that, that's tire. something most people it's have like seen. A, yeah. It's a it's a tw- it's it's IBU unit. It's, it's twenty two. Yeah, okay. Uh, and that's pretty while, common for uh, a lot of things like that. While a dogfish head sixty minute IPA is an IBU of ninety. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sierra Nevada Pale Ale is thirty eight. Um, okay. So. All right, so that gives you and like yeah, and like Miller Lite, yeah, stuff like that. They're going to run in the like the five to ten range, probably mm-hmm. uh, yeah. something like that. You know, yeah. typically the lower the lower you have. I mean, it's I, and IBUs. It's it's important to understand too that that's just perceived bitterness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know when 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 well, excuse me, it's not it's not perceived bitterness is what I'm saying. Um, when when we think of what you can perceive, there are other factors that play a role in that other than alpha acids. Okay. So something can have a lower, like, you could have an IBU of 30, but it will feel hoppier than it is. Interesting. Is that, that just the sense. amount of sugar in it or what? No, it's just it's other components. Okay. So there are other things. Other, like when we talk about bitterness, bitterness, uh, those units are derived only from alpha acids. But there are other components of hops that can add bitterness. Even mm-hmm. some of the different types of malts that you use can add a bitterness. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know that perception matters too. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, hops have hops can have so many flavors within them mm-hmm. uh, that it can change how stuff. I mean, there are hops with very fruity notes to them. That mm-hmm. that's gonna sort that sweet fruitiness is gonna cut the bitterness on. Mm, yep. Okay. There are some that are sort of resinous or piney, uh, uh, dank. Uh, that are gonna, <laughs> and, that and those are, ones are gonna seem a lot more bitter. They're gonna seem a lot more bitter, exactly. I mean, okay. uh, hops and uh, yeah, it's that simple. I mean, hops and marijuana are uh, cousins, <laughs> and so they are. And so, yeah, no, the, no. The, 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 the on that dankier sort of weedy end of uh, hops is where you're gonna get a lot of uh, even perceived bitterness, even yep. though they're even if the IBUs aren't that high. Yeah, uh, funky. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, and, and like, like once again, alcohol—they're—they're they're agricultural products. Yep, yep. They're, um, the range of what they can do is uh, is. Another huge. thing I have on the bottle, or, or that you see on the bottle, is is ABV, which is the alcohol content by volume. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that tells you, that, you know, that will give you a flavor too. What so, else does that tell me other than literally how much alcohol is in this thing? What is the flavor change going to be with that? A lot. So a 12% beer mm-hmm. typically going to feel a lot warmer. And like when we talk about warm, it's like, you know, if you drink like a whiskey mm-hmm. and, and you drink it, you know, you get that warm feeling. Mm-hmm. So some beers will give you that mm-hmm. at a higher ABV. Um, lower beers don't typically do that. So we, we think of low ABV. So four and under as being kind of sessionable. What Which is, means that, that we call lawnmower beers. Those, <laughs> are, those are beers that you could drink all day long. I see. And mm-hmm. what was the word you used for that? Sessionable. Is that a is that a real term? A session or is that beer. Yeah, session beers. Session yep. beers is uh, is the um, 
where that's coming from. It, uh, it's basically when you have a style that is lower alcohol content. Okay. So like you can have an IPA that has a ABV of four, you know, to five. That's considered sessionable because a lot of I, a lot of IPAs have alcohol contents of seven to eight. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's just beers that are much more drinkable. Okay. Uh, yeah. in, in volume. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, so, so and, and you know, the rule of thumb is like usually the higher up you go in that, the more warmth you're going to feel. Okay. Um, that's not always the case, but it, it can. There are some styles that can have very high, uh, very high uh, ABVs to them and not feel boozy. Okay, mm-hmm. so that was like my a, other question. What are the other yeah. flavors I'm getting out of that? Is there also like mouthfeel changes or anything like that? Mouthfeel is one, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's that going to Well, it's just a, again, it's a warmth kind of flavor. Or like if we describe things as being fusel, mm-hmm. like if it's fusel, it tastes solventy. You know, it, mm-hmm. it tastes like ethanol. It doesn't, it's not a, we don't normally think of it as being super pleasant. It's a warmth, but that's not necessarily a pleasant warmth. Okay. It's like a bar- it's it's you know if you if you're like me and you snuck uh, drinks of your dad's scotch out of his bottle when you were like fifteen, um, you know you would you would don't take a like swig of it. Yeah, don't be like that kid. Uh, yep. You'll end up like me. Uh, but you you take a swig of that bottle and it just burns. Do you know what I yep. mean? Like, and you're like, yeah. why do people drink this? Yep. Um, but you know, and so and that is on the extreme end because you're talking about like, you know. A seventy percent alcohol or whatever. Yeah. On the beer end, you're gonna get like, uh, for example, like your session beers, your Miller Lights, all that stuff. You know, you can just drink it; it tastes like beer. But once you get to like 11 percent, it, it is gonna ch- it's gonna change the whole dynamic of that beer. It's gonna be a lot warmer when you drink it in your throat and in your stomach. Uh, it uh, the mouthfeel will definitely be different. It's gonna have a little bigger mouthfeel um okay and stuff like that so yeah there's i mean the abv and just and abv sort of um um when i first started drinking craft beer i would drink it like i was drinking miller and so when you drink an eight percent beer but you drink six of them like you would drink six bud, <laughs> bud lights or something your whole that's gonna it's a big difference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So be careful, folks. Yeah, yeah. So be careful. By yeah. all means. They realize that that eight percent beer is the same as drinking two of the. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. That's a good thing. And just for uh, equivalency on mm-hmm. ABV, wine is where. Wine is usually runs around uh, between nine and eighteen percent, depending yep. on the wine. Okay. Uh, but it's usually around, I think it's usually around 15%. It usually sort of sits in that middle 15% range. Okay. 12, 15, yeah. something like that. And uh, mead and ciders? Uh, ciders tend to be a bit higher. They they run from anywhere from like 5 to yeah about 12. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then meads, they, they get even higher than that. So meads are going to be more like wine. So it's not uncommon for a mead to have like a 15%. Okay. Yeah, mead can get mead can really get up there because it's pure sugar. Yeah, that's true. It can really uh, go nuts. I just looked at some wine bottles in my cellar, and yeah, they're like fifth. They're all around the twelve to seventeen percent range. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I just wanted to give a comparison there. Mm-hmm. Um, do any craft brewers just like shoot for stupid numbers on either those IBUs or APBs? Not in well. 
some did. In the past, you'd have people seeing how many IBUs they could put into a beer. But again, perception is an issue. So at some point, you can't perceive any more bitterness. Yeah. And so once you hit that threshold, bitter. anything above that is just wasting money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of like salt mm-hmm. is just at a certain point, mm-hmm. it's just salt. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's, a great, that's a great analogy of salt. Okay. That's a really yeah. good one. Uh, when it comes to IBUs and, and alcohol, uh, once you hit over a certain level of alcohol, you're no longer technically a beer. Yeah, uh, really. And so, yeah. Well, there uh, there are oftentimes limits to that. So, like in Alabama, for example, you can only produce a beer as high as twelve point nine nine percent. Interesting. If you produce a beer over that, you're no longer producing beer, and then you're in trouble. What is it? What does it call? Is there a name for that, or is it just wine at that point? Malt it's liquor, baby. Malt liquor. Oh, really? That's what malt liquor <laughs> is. Yeah, malt liquor is uh, just a really high ABV beer. It yeah, tastes I, like beer, it looks like beer, but it's like 13%. I had no idea that that's what that, that was. I thought it was some bizarre industrial process. Oh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it's following the same sort of principle as beer, of uh, beer brewing. I mean, it really is. But, it's just uh, nuclear. They're, just, they're cranking out those yeah. ABVs so that you get the most bang for your buck. Okay, uh, I have no idea. I hope that that's uh, informative for everybody because I had no idea that that's what that was. It's the same thing with like Smirnoff Ice and Zima's and all that stuff, they're all technically liquors. Um, Interesting. Bizarre. Okay. That's strange. <laughs> um, so while we're on the topic you... of, of labels and styles and stuff sure. like that, um, one, can do either of you, I, I don't really just want to have you guys like wrap out a list of beers, but is there a good place that people should go to find a list of styles? Yeah, the the BJCP. There you go, Clark. Uh, so, yeah, so there is an organization, the BJCP, okay. uh, which gives Trans- all for the, the it stands yeah. for the Beer Judge Certification Program. Okay, yep. and you can go to their website and they give you all the different styles. Mm-hmm. And so when you look up the styles, and they'll give subtypes of the styles as well, mm-hmm. and they give you all the different things you want to know. So it will tell you the color, and they they give it in something called SRM. Right, which is you know low numbers are light, higher you go, darker gets. But the SRMs a lot of times they'll also show you the scale, the color of it, and describe it. Oh, that's cool. So um, they'll tell they'll give a description of what it looks like, uh, what tastes like, um, any of the sort of characteristics that set it apart from other styles. Interesting. Um, you know bitterness. Cool. The, the, a lot of times they'll even tell you what types of hops are used and what types of grain. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, so it gives you, I mean, it's really informative, and, and it is. It's uh, That program and, and those standards are used to judge beers. Okay, and for yep. those people at home, um, if you Google BJCP, it's the first thing that comes up, but it is also mm-hmm. BJCP.org uh, is mm-hmm. their website. Uh, yep. yep. Uh, well, here's, I'll give you an example. I'm, I'm looking at their website right now, and this is... Uh, International Pale Ale. Uh, the overall impression of an international pale ale is a highly attenuated pale lager without strong flavors, typically well-balanced and highly carbonated. It's served cold. It is refreshing and thirst-quenching. So That's a I good mean, description. That's a really solid yeah. description. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. that. So you're Heineken, uh, 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 Corona, Asahi, all those, a Red Stripe, uh, those all fit into that description oh, i mean cool. so okay. you know awesome. you know exactly what that beer tastes like yep yeah and i mean they will they'll tell you the different beers that are representative a lot of times mm-hmm. yeah no, it's part of the uh, yep. uh they have a beer guideline list that's what i'm looking at and every one of them will have um 
an American light lager, highly carbonated, very light bodied, nearly flavorless, uh, designed to be consumed very cold, very refreshing mm-hmm. and thirst quenching. Mm-hmm. Bud Light, yeah. Coors Light, Keystone, whatever. Um, cool. All right. So for those folks at home that want specific descriptions, that looks like a really great place to get sort, <laughs> concise. Yeah, it's a great wonderful resource. Yeah. Um, there's also a great, if you're looking to really sort of get into learning more and more about beer, there's a wonderful book called The Oxford Companion to Beer. Mm-hmm. The Oxford Beer Companion, something like that. Um, and it is sort of a dictionary. Uh, it, it's, it's set up like an encyclopedia, essentially. So you can look up cities, you can look up different breweries, you can look up different brewery terms, stuff like that, and it'll give you break different beer styles. And it will give you a really nice, really, it's a really good resource. Cool. Uh, yeah, that's good. So, um, All right, let, let's uh, talk a little bit about home brewing specifically, because uh, I think that that's something that people, either their friends are doing it, or, or they're mm-hmm. interested in doing it, or they've had a bottle of it before. Um, I think the first thing and the most important thing from uh, the standpoint of it just being good uh, what defines success and failure for a homebrew? I imagine failures have much more definitive failures than the successes. Um, I mean, on its most basic level, um, I would say success is, does it taste good? Yep. Okay. Uh, failure is, it tastes bad. Yep. Uh, that, I mean, on, its, on, a, on a very basic level. And if you're only looking to make beer that tastes good or, and not make beer that tastes bad, that's a totally fine metric to use. Okay. Uh, totally acceptable. I mean, homebrewing is uh, an interesting hobby in that you can you could go as far into it as you want to and still be producing good beer. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you can mm-hmm. bog down in all the science you want to. You can do all those things and hit all these num- have all these numbers that you want to hit, and it still be good. Or you can just be like, yeah, we just made this beer to taste good, so that we keep doing it. Yep. Yep. The one I did last and, time was fine. Something to do it again. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, like it, the, and then you'll see some folks that take it to the other end, where to them a failure is: does it adhere to style or not? Exactly. It, absolutely. If it, yeah. if it is not adhering to style, it's a failure. It could be a mm-hmm. perfectly drinkable beer. It be a delicious beer. With like with the BJCP, think of this mm-hmm. as being within style. These are our Westminster show dogs that have floppy Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Um, that, th- th- this dog analogy, man, I'm going to start using this. <laughs> Good, uh, I like it. <laughs> because it's very, I mean, it's very true. When you're judging, like, if they're judging beer, if you're judging homebrew or whatever beer, if you're judging yeah. beer, you're judging it as it adheres to the style guidelines. Okay. Not necessarily it's the best tasting beer. Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah. It is what most adheres to the guidelines. Uh, yeah. You can have a great stuff. tasting beer that does poorly on a mm-hmm. judge sheet because of style. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. That if you sense. submit a Pilsner, they're expecting this, 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 and this. Yep. Yeah. And if it doesn't hit those, it's not a Pilsner. Okay. Uh, it still could be delicious um, and something you're really proud of, but it's not necessarily going to win a Best Pilsner Award. Okay. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely mm-hmm. does. Um, and I assume that there are some things that are abject failures that are actually uh, problems. And I think that this might mm-hmm. be a Clark thing. Um, if I'm doing this at home and I don't want to die, what am I looking for? 
<laughs> well, you probably won't die. Okay. Unless you're doing really crazy stuff. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the, you might have an the, upset stomach, but dying is a bit extreme. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, even getting sick from beer is a bit of a challenge. Um, the reason is just because of the environment that beer has. Mm-hmm. It's so just built for it's, decontaminating. It's a, it's a low pH environment. Um, most bacteria that are pathogenic don't tolerate a very low pH. And low pH is acidic. Yep. Okay. Um, it is a it, it is an oxygen free environment, and most pathogens are you know don't do so hot in a you know oxygen free environment. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a nutrient poor environment because especially if you have good yeast growth, if the, if the yeast are growing really really well. They're going to utilize almost all the sugar. They're eating. They're eating everything. Yeah. Oh, so you're just using the yeast to starve out yep. everything else. Exactly. Oh, it's okay. a, it's a competition. Okay. So it's a little ecosystem. Um, and then on top of that, you also have you know the production of alcohol as a byproduct. Yeah, and mm-hmm. alcohol kills. Uh, and again, a lot of bacteria can't tolerate alcohol very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you you look at so like when we think about making beer, it's important to understand it's not a sterile process. Uh, what that means is that. You know, even at the end of the process, there are going to be some unwanted little dudes hanging out in your beer mm-hmm. or in your wart. Um, the thing is that what you're doing is you're trying to overwhelm them. So, oh, you know, I, I think of it from like, you know, if you think of like a, a bar or something and you have like, <laughs> you know, folks showing up with all their friends yeah. and they take mm-hmm. over all the seats. Yep. Well, if they take over all the seats, you're not getting service. I see. Yeah. So these little guys that are in small numbers just can't compete with them. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, so they, they, they become overwhelmed pretty quick. Okay, and that's cool. why we, we, we refer to brewing as a sanitary process, but not a sterile process. Okay. Um, so real hard failure is difficult. Well, it's not that difficult. It's, <laughs> real that hard all failure is due to, yeah. I mean, you can easily kill a beer, um, but it's usually due to you know, a considerable amount of inattention to detail. Okay. So if you're not cleaning your buckets or cleaning the things that are going to come in contact mm-hmm. with the, the chilled wart, um, that's a problem. What is that going to uh, look like or taste like? Oh, there's all kinds of stuff. It could taste... Dude, all... it is such a range. It's crazy. <laughs> okay, yeah. all right. Then we won't get into it. <laughs> You'll know. It won't taste right. Um, you, I mean, you can... I mean, you, you're, you're talking about flavors that go from sewer gas... Ooh. To uh, uh, metallic, oh. to like apple, to just apple, or yeah, I mean, uh, or yogurt, <laughs> or uh, yeah, yogurt. Well, but now, vomit. wouldn't something like apple be a desirable thing to sometimes, okay. but not generally? All right. mm-hmm. um, and and usually, it's not desirable if it is due to um, infection. Okay, right. Yeah. So we think of that that kind of appley flavor is due to acetaldehyde, mm-hmm. and Usually you, you get that as a – it's kind of a byproduct of an unfinished fermentation. So mm-hmm. so when we think of it, when we go to make beer, we start off with sugar, mm-hmm. like a simple sugar like glucose. And the first thing that the yeast is going to do is, in, in fermentation, it's going to convert that glucose to acetaldehyde. Mm-hmm. And that acetaldehyde has that apple flavor. Then okay. what will happen is it will convert that acetaldehyde into ethanol and carbon dioxide and so like if you see like a you know a partial fermentation taking place there's going to be those kind of apple flavors so like for me when i do brewing i sample i try to sample daily during the process to see where things are 
going along. Mm-hmm. And initially, I'll have kind of a little bit of a sour, apple-y flavor. Mm-hmm. But it cleans up. Because I see, it's because still they the finished the their metabolism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That makes mm-hmm. good sense. Cool. Yeah. So um, we get a whole a variety of... of failures, apparently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but all of them are due, by and large, all of your failures in homebrewing are due to con- some sort of contamination. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And almost all of them can be pre- almost can be prevented by, I mean, cleanliness is next to godliness in brewing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you just got to keep your stuff clean and be very deliberate about cleaning and sanitizing. And now can I um, leave it out on the porch or in the sun to warm up to get up to temperature or no? No. If you want to. <laughs> well, I went not unless... <laughs> Not unless it's a closed system. Right. So if you if you leave it out there open to the air, you're gonna get more um, stuff in there. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the other thing is, typically in Alabama, the issue isn't keeping it warm. The issue keeping is it keeping cool. it cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but will sunlight damage it? it, it well, if it's can, clear, it will. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so sunlight so can is clear. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So if yeah. you if you had hops, for example, mm-hmm. right? One of the uh, one of the things that can happen is sunlight causes the degradation of uh, some hop oils. And what that does is creates a skunky flavor. So if you think of, like, for example, Corona, which... Corona is the prime example of it. Yep. Is we associate with Corona skunkiness. Yeah, because it's Um, got the clear bottle. That's an off flavor. That's not... But it's part of... (laughs) But it's part of what that beer is. Yeah. Yeah. Their skunkiness really is. I mean, it is when they can their beer, they actually uh, add some of that skunky flavor to it. So it tastes, so Corona tastes the same every time you get it. Um, same way on kegs and kegs. Um, yeah, Clark, you did a little science experiment about that a while mm-hmm. back. Uh, do you want to yeah. just really quickly cover that? Because I think it was yeah. interesting. So, you know, I wanted to kind of look to see whether or not folks would be able to tell the difference between Corona in a can and Corona in the bottle. Um, and when I chose Corona in the bottle, I chose clear bottles um, because mm-hmm. there that allows for sunlight to enter. And if you go to a, um, a grocery store, you'll notice that if it's a six pack, the six pack isn't covered and it sits under fluorescent lights almost all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that, it's you know over time it's converting those hop oils into that kind of skunky flavor. Mm-hmm. And the cans, however, are closed. And yeah. so I brought them back and did. Um, a, a little test it's basically you use three samples two of the samples are the same and one is different and you have to determine which samples are the same and you randomize it uh, okay. for the individuals and eventually if you collect enough data you can see if there's a true difference mm-hmm. and I had enough people um, that were sampling that when we did this um, and we looked at it it was very clear that there is a difference in flavor from the you know, the canned Corona and then the, the clear Corona and the clear bottle Corona. And it wasn't looking for, you weren't looking for which one tastes better or which one tastes worse or anything like that. You were just looking, is is there a difference? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, and when I did this test, I wasn't telling you to look for, uh, odor. I wasn't telling Mm -hmm. you to look for color. Um, I wasn't telling you to look for taste. Just different. It was just, is it different? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's cool. What, What two are the same and which one's different? And that's and that's the only way you approach it because otherwise you start guiding people to making those. If I said, well, what about the odor? Yeah, then right. I guide people, and then I would figure it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, most people were able to tell the the two apart. Most mm-hmm. being fifty percent or seventy percent. Uh, seventy-five or more. That's impressive. Yeah, for yeah. Mm-hmm. what we would consider a relatively small difference in something. Yeah. Um. And speaking of cans and bottles, um, there is a 
there's a lingering myth about cans that that beer in a bottle tastes better than beer in a can. And at mm-hmm. one time, when that cans true, were made of steel, that was yeah. that was completely true. Now the bot the can is the way to go yep. if you can find it. Uh, it is a completely closed system. The cans have different liners in them that do not mm-hmm. impart any sort of flavor. Uh, it's essentially a mini keg at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're looking if if you have the option to buy a beer that you really like in a can, I would recommend going can over bottle. Um, yep. Okay, just for that UV so. safety thing? Mm-hmm. Well, uh-huh. strip, yep. that's that, a big part uh, of it. That's a big part of it, but also uh, uh, cap, the, the crowns on top of bottles, the caps, mm-hmm. uh, are made of steel. They can rust and impart flavor. Okay. Uh, um, the, the reason people bottle more is that it's so much cheaper to bottle your beer than it is mm-hmm. to can your beer. Really? I would have figured that would have been the other way around. Nope. More than anything, it's the equipment you have to get to bottle oh, okay. and can. Canning lines are very expensive. Bottling lines, not nearly. Okay, okay, that makes sense. So for smaller when, when producers... We look at their, when we look mm-hmm. at it now, there is a big push for breweries to get canning lines. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's a sustainability as- aspect to that. Um, yes. It's actually yeah. easier to recycle aluminum cans than it is to recycle glass yeah by a lot uh, glass has to get segregated by its color well and um, it's just weighs yeah. a lot so moving it to and it a recycling a lot, plant it's, is not it's a easy. problem and whereas the cans are much easier yep. and it could be i don't recycled i don't pretty. know if there is a glass recycler in the united states anymore it takes so much energy to recycle glass yeah that a i don't lot know about up here overseas. but i do know um down in uh, tallahassee they would not recycle glass. There was, there was, they yeah. did segregate mm-hmm. it. Like they, they did put it in a big pile yeah. just in mm-hmm. case it ever became recyclable. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, the glass was not recycled. Uh, it is so expensive to do. That's why yeah. they don't do it. I don't think they do it in Mont- Montgomery. Uh, no, no, I don't think they do either. It's um, just, uh, so there is that. Crazy. Okay. So uh, the so, prices, the price of canning lines is coming down considerably. So uh, cans just, are better guys at home. Yep. Cans are better. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, um, so while we're talking about homebrew and doing that and doing that yeah, kind yeah, yeah, of thing, sorry, yeah. um, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. We we got off on a tangent. That was a good tangent. Um, uh, with talking about how specific these flavors are and how apparently people can tell the difference between a bottle that has UV damage and one that doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. How possible is it to reverse engineer a recipe? Like, say, Clark, you made something great, you lose the recipe, you don't remember what you put in it. Can you work backwards? Sometimes. Um, it depends on the style. So normally what would happen is the styles use certain per, uh, proportions of grain. Mm-hmm. Um, and they use different types of grain. So, for example, if I'm using, if I'm making a, a pale ale, mm-hmm. I'm going to use a lot of two-row. Um, I'm not going to use chocolate, which malt. is a t- which is a type of malt. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yep. thank you. Uh, if if I'm if I'm making a pilsner, I'm going to use pilsner malt. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times, just based on style, you know exactly what types of grains you want to work with, mm-hmm. um, and then any of the other grains that you add can are, are usually added to give a little bit of flavor or give a little bit of color. And so, because you know what the grains look like and you know the kind of flavors they impart. Mm-hmm. Um, You'll avoid some or use others. Mm-hmm. Your your hops also give you specific flavors too. So if I'm ending, you know, if I'm looking for a kind of a citrusy hop, 
You know, I might go citra with that. If, if my beer was citrusy, I'm not mm -hmm. going to go with something that was piney, for example. Oh, okay. Um, so you, you do, you are capable of kind of working back. It, it might not be exactly it's gonna, the same. It's going to be but... hard to, it, it would be difficult to taste a beer knowing nothing about it and then be yep. like, work backwards from that. But if you have a basic understanding of what that beer is, you could totally do it. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, um, so if you so, had that labelless bottle in the bottom of the cooler, that might be an issue. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And let's talk a little bit about what another aspect of what grain does to your beer. Speak. This is what Clark talking about two row and pilsner. Yeah. The color of the beer comes from the grain. Yeah. Uh, okay, I know cool. there are a lot of people who say that like dark beers have more alcohol. Dark beers are stronger. This and the other. That's nonsense. That obviously makes no uh, sense because vodka is perfectly yeah. clear. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. But <laughs> there are a lot of people who will drink, you know, and sometimes now darker beers with their chocolatey, coffee, roasty flavors can stand up. Those flavors can stand up to higher to a higher alcohol content. Oh, that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Uh, they can they can stand up to that alcohol flavor. So a lot of times they do have more alcohol, but the only thing that determines the color of your beer is the color of the grain that's used. And that's how much it's been toasted, essentially, right? That is how much yeah. it's been toasted, okay. absolutely. Well, and yep. I'm, I'm referring to, to dark that. beers there, as toasted you can actually, beers from now on. You can, you can there you go. color a little bit by boil time, too. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's like but, making tea, So the longer right? you boil it, the more constant yeah. it gets, okay. the darker yeah. it gets. And you also mm -hmm. get more uh, Maillard reactions. Okay, right. yeah. And Maillard right. reactions are the conversions of sugars into a bunch of other stuff by heat. Yeah, it's like the the when you have like sugars and proteins interacting yep. and it causes like a, it's like when you think of like browning butter, yeah. that's a Maillard reaction. Searing a steak. Yes. Yep. Um, anything like that. And, and, but primarily like your color is going to come from your grains. Okay. But cool. yeah, I, if I, if I have a very light beer and I boil it for 90 minutes, it would be darker than if I boiled it for 30 minutes. And, and since yeah. we came back to it, I just, I, just for, didn't think about it, that color, there, another thing that we think about when we think about color is opacity or clarity. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you mm -hmm. guys use. What, what term yep, is used one and um, what what makes one one way and another a different way? We, we have clarity. And okay. for most people, clarity is a big thing. Um, so we, the non, when we have non-clear beer, we refer to haziness, okay. right? And there are different types of haze. So there's non-biological haze and then biological haze. Um, that sounds gross. Biological haze, new band name, I call it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, the biological haze would be due to things like, you know, contaminants, like bacteria or whatnot, uh, microorganisms that are growing in the beer. Mm -hmm. um, the non-biological haze could be due to uh, different components in the beers that are interacting mm -hmm. uh, that, have it, that need to be removed. Okay, so um, is one of those things okay and one of them not? Or is it just, again, a style guide thing? Or? Typically, if you have contamination, that's not. Okay. Um, and, and but haziness, yeah. haziness is absolutely a style guide. It's important. For some beer. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. It is important. Some beers are... Uh, pils pilsners are made to be clear. Yep. Uh, Crystal okay. clear. Yeah. If you have a hazy pilsner, you have really screwed up. Okay. Yeah. Uh, IPAs can be hazy. There's a whole section of, like, hazy IPAs. Saisons, yeah. house beers... They could be cloudy uh, or hazy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there 
different styles have different clarity guidelines. Okay. And, and you know, the, the thing to point out from a homebrew kind of situation here is that haziness is a little bit hard to control. A lot of our beers are going to get what we call chill haze. So, for example, when I pour out an IPA that I have on draft at my house um, that I made, I don't filter my beer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, there's going to be those proteins and whatnot. And at colder temp, they come out of solution. And, that's and they can them. be hazy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, like, if I look at it, it doesn't have good clarity. But if I let that beer sit and warm up for, you know, 15 minutes, mm -hmm. it disappears. They go back into solution. Okay. Interesting. So, that's a... You know, a chill haze is is kind of acceptable haze. It's mm -hmm. it's you know judging it wouldn't be great, but it's not a deal breaker. But then mm -hmm. there's like if it's a hazy that doesn't go away, that's and not it's good. not supposed to be there, then that's a big problem. Oh, okay. But usually commercial breweries they they get around it by filtering and by using finings. And mm -hmm. finings just drops everything out of solution, right? Yeah, it it yeah. just they bind their like magnets yeah. you can think mm -hmm. of being molecular magnets and they just grab onto all these other things and drop them out just float to the sink to the bottom yeah. yep <clears throat> okay well, that's pretty good um i think that the the one big question i would like to ask of both of you is kind of um what are you guys personally doing in the near future um and what would you like especially clark because you're a weird biologist person mm -hmm. um what are you guys looking for in the far future for this stuff are we gonna start seeing weird engineered kinds of yeast and things like that or is that way way out or what well you know engineering yeast um that is that's kind of been a discussion, but that becomes an issue too, depending on where what markets you're selling it in. Uh, a lot of folks are really they're hesitant with engineered yeast, although that that's been things that we've looked at. Um, so now that we have CRISPR technology, mm -hmm. um, we could very easily add different genes into the yeast genome. It's it's a pretty simple genome to work with. So if you got um, carte blanche on that, what would what would you like to see? Well, for example, one of the things that has been discussed is it would be good to engineer yeast that maybe have hop flavors. Mm -hmm. So rather than using hops, uh, now your yeast is providing those different flavors. And the, the reason for that is because, you know, hops are expensive to grow. It's an agricultural process. Uh, with climate change, the, the range of areas that they can grow is decreasing. Oh, okay. um, So it's, a, it's an adaptation to our changing environment. Um, and it's also to try to make this a more sustainable process. That sounds um, like good, important work. It is, but you know, it's it's a hard sell still. Yeah. Um, it, you know, people are uncomfortable with that kind of technology, and you know, it's it's unclear as to whether it's all going to be kind of the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing would be to engineer yeast to break down different kinds of uh, sugars. So, yeah. for example, most yeast, they can break down uh, glucose, which is a simple sugar. They can mm -hmm. break down sucrose, which is table sugar. Yeah. Um, you know, and they could do, you know, fructose, which is, you know, sugar that you find in fruits. Uh, but they can't break down lactose. Ah, okay. So, like, you could take um, milk and... Yeah. yeah. So, you can't really ferment milk with your standard yeast. Uh, but that might be you could you could engineer a, a yeast to have the genes necessary that produce the enzymes that break down lactose. Now, could you break down something like cellulose with yeast? Yeah. Uh, they they typically don't break down cellulose. Okay. Could but, that be, is that you know, is that within the that range could be, of engineering? You could do that if you could put in um, cellulase. 
yeah, you could probably get them to break that down. Interesting. That's um, cool. So we can look at engineering. I mean, yeast are uh, yeast because of their genome are, are pretty easy to work with, and they are they're kind of uh, they're a microbial guinea pig. Cool. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to look at it. I like that. Um, so that sounds like a good range of things to do with them, breaking down mm-hmm. different sugars and getting flavors that are otherwise expensive to get. Um, mm-hmm. And what about near future? I know, Clark, you're working with... Uh, are you allowed to talk about that? Um, yeah. Okay, sure. cool. Uh, so, so, yeah, so what are you doing in the next year or so? Uh, so for me right now, uh, one of the big things is I'm working on uh, building a uh, brewing program at uh, AUM. Mm-hmm. And so part of this process and what we're planning on doing is over the summer, I'm, I'm going to be building a brewery on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we're going to have our own little brewery. It'll be a small scale, um, couple couple barrel brewery. Um, and the idea is to train students how to use the equipment and get them to understand the industrial in, you know processes of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm set to teach a course in fermentation this fall. And so I know with that right now, I have my lectures are going to be, it's a, it's a hybrid course, mm-hmm. uh, which means that the lecture component will be online. And so I'll produce my PowerPoints, produce my, yeah, cool. my recorded lectures. And then Fridays, um, which is normally an off day at AUM, we'll have the lab and it's a long lab. It's I think four or five hours. Oh, that's and nice. that's to learn the brewing process and working in yeah, the brewery. In that lab. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, cool. So we, we're using this as more of a lab kind of situation. Um, it, a lot of it is, you know, when I think about this, this brewing certificate that we're working towards, um, you know, it's, it's to build skills in the brewing industry. So that way, you know, we're, we're creating folks that are hireable. Yeah. yeah. That's um, and in good. the, in the long run and in the yep. long term for that, Clark, you want to actually be able to turn this into a, a brewing science major. So you're not only doing the fermentation and the mm-hmm. science and the practical stuff, but also business classes. That'd and, be really yep. great. Yeah, um, yeah, things like idea. that. So you can graduate yeah. from AUM with a brewing science degree. And so you're ready to rock. Yeah, so I mean, like right now, I mean, if we look at the certificate and some of the stuff that I, what I'm proposing, you know, we're definitely the business is a big part of it. We have a lot of folks that, um, you know, when they, they're home brewers, but we're not businessmen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, yeah. hard to under, it's very hard to open up a brewery and to understand the financial implications of doing such. Well, first um, of all, opening a brewery is very expensive. It's very expensive. <laughs> well, and on that topic, Clark, you're working with one of the breweries here in town, right? Yep. Um, yep. So I've been I've been working down at uh, Common Bond Brewery. Okay. Uh, brewers. So um, been helping them out, uh, learning the different brewing process, working on their equipment. Um, the head brewer and I, uh, Andrew McNally, we worked on the you know done some really big batches of beer, and then we've worked on some smaller scale stuff. Um, AUM has a, a one barrel fermenter down there, a unitank, mm-hmm. and so we've been brewing a lot of uh, experimental beers. Um, and I know that he's, you know, been um, getting a lot of folks in the community interested in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So they're coming in, they're asking for, "Hey, we got this kind of cool event. Can you brew a beer for the event?" Ooh, that's um, neat. So he's been doing a lot of that, and I've been helping him out on that. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and, and then, so, so in the in the near future, what are you looking to make? Is there something something we should be on the lookout for? Well, you know, for me right now, I. There's no beer I'm making uh, right now that's kind of a special one uh, there. Um, 
things that, as you might expect, have kind of slowed slowed down with yes. uh, what's yeah. going on. Um, of course, we're more or less just kind of keeping things moving, doing the the big stuff. Yeah, I know that he is working on, and I'm going to help him with this brew day. Uh, a Tej beer. What is that? Um, it is a a beer with honey in it. It's a Ooh. African kind of style. Um, it's almost awesome. like a mead, but it's it's a beer mead combo, um, and that's for um, you know the Montgomery Museum of Fine Arts. They're going to be cool. having an event. Oh, that's cool. Um, yep. So this is a beer that. meant for People that event. Yeah, that's that. awesome. There. Um, so that's kind of the things that he's been doing and that we're going to be doing in the future that, you know, as long as these events are still occurring, we'll be making the beer. Well, that's awesome. And, <laughs> right? and that's really cool because you can make a small batch. Yeah. Um, and, you can and, and, you know, we've made some, things. Yeah. And I mean, it's a very small batch. So when we talk about, you know, to, to give a sense of size, when I say a barrel, um, a barrel system, what that means is we're working with 31 gallons. Okay. So it's not a 55 gallon drum. No, okay, it's, yeah. it's it, 31 gallons. Um, normally when we do a, a brew day, we do a double batch. We don't mm-hmm. fill it. So we're not doing a full 31 gallons in the fermenter. We're mm-hmm. n- normally doing about 20 gallons in there. Okay. And that gets us three, uh, basically like three, three little kegs. Okay. That's what we get three or four kegs out of it. Um, you know, if they're five gallons each, depends on how efficient we are. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, for this event, that would be, you know, we're probably have three kegs that would be ready for that event. All right. And cool. so that's, you know, that's very different than working on the big scale. Uh, working oh, yeah. on the small scale is kind of, you know, it's kind of fun. It's more experimental. You get to really change things. Working on the big scale, it is, uh, it, it is industrial. Mm-hmm. And, yes, you know, there are, yeah. You got to learn like it's a lot of it's automated. A lot of it is, um, reading, you know, different pieces of equipment, um, understanding how water flows through a brewery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> being mm-hmm. careful about how water flows through, uh, flows yeah, through brewery. Um, you know, you do a lot of work with chemicals that you know Not can nice. be hazardous. Yeah. Um, pressures that can be hazardous. So it, it's it, it's more like working in a factory when you're working at a commercial scale than it is uh, doing the homebrew. Homebrew yeah. is usually a little bit more relaxing. Um, it's a little bit more fun. It's cool. a hobby. Homebrew yeah. is a hobby. 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 Yeah. Um, All right. And on that note, Bo. Mm-hmm. Far future, what product yeah. would you like to carry in your store? In your store that you don't now, would it be a different kind of grain? Would it be it's one of these weird yeasts we were talking about? What would you like? Um, no, those. I mean, those would be cool, but there, there's really no grain or yeast that I can't get if I don't want it. Uh, if I want it, you know what I mean? Okay, that's cool. Uh, I'm looking more at the. the Homebrewing equipment is really coming along is coming a long way very quickly. Oh, uh, so that's what you ad- want from the future. Yeah, the advent of uh, Arduinos and Raspberry Pis and yeah. programmable automation that you could do at home is the homebrewing technology is jumping leaps and bounds every year. Great. Okay, so uh, that sounds cool. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, there are, there, there are things, there's a product now, I can't remember the name, Clark might know it, but it looks essentially like a bread maker mm-hmm. that you put on your counter and it oh, just brews. The, you, you the Pica brew. Yeah, the Pica brew. Yep. Uh, it looks like a bread maker. And it just you does a whole a batch of beer. It, yeah. Yep, you just add the grains to it, you press the button, it does the whole job for you. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. That's so yep. funny. And it, and it keeps track of it too. So it's actually yeah. pretty, it's interesting. So it will, 
it'll keep a log of what's going on, and so you can see where it is in the process, and you can change it as needed. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, but it's it's and you know you produce probably I think about a gallon of yeah, beer. I think that's right. Yeah, you know, which is not huge, but it's still like you know if you're wanting to brew a little bit and have something fun, it you lives do, on and your it's counter. actually yeah, that's awesome. It yeah, lives on your exactly. Counter. Yeah, size of a toaster, and you know it's relatively affordable these days. Cool. Yeah, the, and the prices on all that stuff is coming down. They have these. They have these. Uh, when you're fermenting beer, like Clark was saying, you want it as a closed system so oxygen can't get in, yeah. light can't get in. But mm -hmm. CO2 has to go somewhere. Yeah. So you have what on your thing, what's called an airlock, which yeah. is just a piece of plastic with uh, some sanitizer or uh, vodka in it or anything that will yeah. just keep stuff out. But yeah. uh, keep stuff from coming in, but let gas release. Well, they now have airlocks that uh, read the amount of gas output from uh, uh, the beer that you've put in there mm -hmm. that uh, they read the how fast it comes out, the flow of it, everything like that. And it can calculate, it will calculate your uh, ABV from it. It will calculate all, do all these sort of calculations just based on the uh, oh, that's cool. release that's, of yeah. CO2. Because I guess mm -hmm. if you can measure one half of the metabolism, you can measure the other Ex half. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you can calculate it's the a, other half, I should say. I mean, it, the technology in homebrewing is really where is really kind of amazing what's happening. And uh, so, yeah. what are you looking to do with the store in the next year or so? Are you looking to make anything? Are you looking to brew anything interesting? Are you looking to do anything? Uh, I mean, I, I brew at the store, keep stuff at the store. I'm not looking necessarily to start. I don't want to necessarily start a brewery or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, no. But uh, years, I mean, uh, part of our plan is to open a small bottle shop inside the brewery. Uh, oh, maybe cool. do some growler and crowler fills, things like that. That's um, certainly the direction we're leaning towards more than production. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that sounds so. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you can go great. by and talk to Bo whenever you want. He's a captive Absolutely. audience. That's uh, true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Henderson Homebrew. We're at uh, 446 Coliseum Boulevard. Uh, we're just across the street from the Eastbrook flea market and stuff like that yeah so. ju just north of atlanta right mm -hmm. or yep. atlanta highway sorry guys yep. Um, yep yeah just north of atlanta yeah no just uh, north henderson. of atlanta uh, uh, <laughs> um henderson henderson homebrew.com uh, yeah. or on facebook or in or, or the gram so cool awesome um and then the last thing clark you uh there's a website called free the hops would you talk about yep. that for just a minute sure uh so i am actually um on the board of directors of free the hops um and what this organization did you know to give you a little bit of history is seven years ago it was illegal to homebrew in the state mm -hmm. it didn't matter what volume you were making or what abv you were making it was just illegal so what i do now from home um would be a you know class c misdemeanor which mm -hmm. means you're going to pay like a 500 fine and potentially go to jail <laughs> so it was a big deal and you know we have as you know we have a lot of military folks here and there are a lot of people that would that do homebrewing or came from areas where they would do that that would stand to lose a lot if you had you know some law enforcement that were being a, a little over aggressive about maintaining that law yeah so what they started to do this organization uh was to legalize homebrewing in the state and also um try to get some of the more commercial aspects of brewing um you know 
liberalized is the way to describe it. So loosened up. If you think mm-hmm. of like the consumer end of it, they're advocating for us in the home brewer. Cool. Um, yes. And so they they are now part. They're considered a branch of um, the Alabama Brewers Guild, which mm-hmm. is the commercial represent uh, representative body uh, for the the breweries that we have in the state. That's um, the bigger boys. Yeah, you can think of it as being kind of like a union. Yeah, essentially, um, and we're part of that now. Uh, cool. We tend we deal with the consumer end and the and some to some degree the homebrew end. Mm-hmm. Uh, they deal with the legislation that is dealing with laws that deal with like the big brewers, you know, yeah, the big yeah. brewer kind of stuff. Um, cool. But one of the things that we're looking, you know, for and, and still something that you know is of interest is. We we recently are kind of looking at the, some of the laws that we have for home brewing. Um, I wrote a little article on their w- uh, website about it, mm-hmm. um, and it's just kind of to look at this and think about where we are compared to a lot of the other states, and to and to start a dialogue, uh, see if there's things that we're interested in as homebrewers to maybe pr- pursue. Yeah. Um, so so in this article, what I what I did is I looked at the the statutes that we have dealing with homebrewing. Um, and you know, but looking at that and looking at the different kind of statutes that you would see in our like neighboring states, so like you think Tennessee, Mississippi, Florida, Georgia, mm-hmm. we are actually the, have the most regressive statute. That's and surprising. Yeah, which is yeah. I mean, you would think Mississippi, right? But Mississippi is <laughs> actually more progressive than us on this one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would actually suggest that everybody we're, go we're and we're read through this, this article. I think that yeah. reading through this is probably the way to do it. Well, and, um, and, it, and it is interesting, though, some of the stuff about it. Um, it's surprising. Yeah, uh, you're limited are... to, I'm reading it right now, you're limited to 15 gallons a quarter, which mm-hmm. seems like a lot for most people, but I guess for people like you that are doing many, many batches, it very quickly gets this, eaten up. Let's see. Well, 15, by, you're, you're right home... now, I'm probably at that capacity. Yeah. <laughs> you're home, when you, when you make bored. a batch of homebrew, by and large, yep. you're making a five-gallon batch. Yep. So, so it's three if batches. You, if you... Yeah, so I mean, or one batch a month. Yeah, Yeah. one batch a month. That is not necessarily a lot. Yeah, Uh, no, it's not. Um, and then it looks like the second one is that. Oh, this is weird. You're not allowed to leave the residence where it was produced. Mm Mm-hmm. That's crazy. When when I make beer at my home, you can't take it to my house. I can't take it to your house. If I took it to your house, I've just committed a classy misdemeanor. Yeah. And then, uh, if I take it to a this is and this is where it bothers me a lot more, is if I take that beer to a homebrew meeting. So there are a bunch of homebrew clubs in the state. Yeah, you can't do that. Lots of us. And it's typical with homebrew clubs, you bring your beer to share. Yeah. All right. And if you are bringing beer that you made to share to someone else's house, and it wasn't produced in that house, that's a no no. You know, that's a classy misdemeanor. So everyone in that meeting is, is committing doing that. Yeah. Now, granted, you know. We we're not having the cops come and bust down the doors and arrest no. us all. The, the, the likelihood of that of something like that happening are slim to none. But just the risk yeah. of it is not okay. For Absolutely, you guys. yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, and that's and that's the thing. All you need is someone that's just a little overzealous and, and decides that they have an axe yeah. to grind, and that gives mm-hmm. them the ability to do that. Um, and and why and the the, the and yeah and so why have the law? Do you know what I mean? It's it's it's. Mm-hmm. The, it's, yeah, it's dumb. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, and hopefully it gets changed. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing down. is, we're looking at that, and and you know, we're we're trying to open up a dialogue and just get get a sense of what the general population thinks um, about these laws. Well, that's and, good. 
And whether I think or not they the... should be, I mean, it's now it even though it's a regressive law, it it's important to state that you know seven years ago it was illegal entirely. It was worse, yeah. So it's getting yeah, better. I, I could I could make an uh, you know a, like an ounce of beer, and that would be enough for yeah. a misdemeanor. You right. know, I mean, Let's it, not do that. yeah. <laughs> Um, but um, now, you know, it's a good step in the right direction. So Free the Hops is interested in that. Um, some of the other things that they deal with is uh, we are interested in having um, beer festivals. Uh-huh. And, you know, some of the, the brewery, uh, brewing festivals that we do have in People the state seem to like run through us. Um, <laughs> so, that you know, it's, it's, it's trying to advocate for the consumers what we do. Well, that's cool. That's really good. Uh, well, it sounds like there's a bunch of good things in the future for all of us. Um, mm-hmm. And there's plenty of resources if, if people want to get into the stuff or are interested in it. We've talked about a few things, and I'll try to put links in the bottom of the video so people can get to that stuff easily. Uh, but I just want to say thank you, Clark, and thank you, Bo. It's been a, a great time talking to you this morning, and I hope that people learned a lot. Yeah, yeah thank thanks. you, Wyndham. It's, it's fun to get to talk about beer. Yeah, yeah it is. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Um, this was this was fun. All right. Well, yeah. I'll talk to you guys later. All right. All right. Thanks. Peace. Yep. Bye. Peace. Bye.